0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: All right, we're going without the music this evening. Uh, Welcome to the 50th episode of Rubber Guard Radio. I am your host, KZ. On the line, I have my tag team partner and soulmate, God's gift to pro wrestling, Alex Saint. What's going on, brother? Happy 50th.
3: Hey, what's going on? What's going on?
2: Chilling, waiting for the champ to call in.
3: The champ is here. Da, 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 da.
2: Yeah, well, you know, he's one of the few legitimate champions.
3: <laughs>
2: you know, I, I I really don't count Vince's champions because you know, really, come on, how many guys do they actually work? Four, five guys total.
3: Orton's pretty damn picture. good. Orton's pretty Excuse good. Or, Orton's oh, a champion. Yeah, but
2: I I don't know. I just I just don't. They're I I consider them an entertainment company, and they're they're not a wrestling company anymore, as far as I'm concerned. But
1: that's no. I was but actually see,
3: I, I'm old school, man. So <laughs> I was actually watching the second One Night Stand show, and I was watching the Orton Engel match, and the Orton is, Orton's great. <laughs> they're 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 really
2: putting the screws to them. They're I mean they're really putting everything behind them. You know, because uh, I was watching uh, Law and Order SVU on Monday, and mm-hmm. it's on at eight o'clock before Raw, and yeah. starting at eight thirty, they they drop in little little commercials about Raw, and it was just Randy Orton, just Randy <laughs> Orton, and
3: it's like, well, okay. I to, well, I have to say, you know, when when he got his original title run as a babyface, it just wasn't. I don't know if he, I don't know what the deal was if he wasn't ready or if he doesn't work as a face. But my God, as a heel champion, he's awesome, and I enjoy watching him.
2: He sure got that soccer kick over, didn't he?
3: Yeah, he did. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, like, uh, it's you get things over by continually doing it on TV, you know. Mhm. Yeah,
2: I have to agree. Well, go go ahead and um, drop the
3: news about Carl Anderson. Um, from a very reliable force, I guess you could say. Didn't we already talk about that, how Carl got a one-year deal over New Japan?
2: I haven't heard him mentioned at all, but...
3: Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard of it bag, mentioned yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, um, congratulations to Carl Anderson. He definitely, definitely deserves bigger and better. And, uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's a great, great talent. And, uh, apparently he's going to be able to apply his trade over New Japan. I've only seen one match of his from New Japan against Rhino. And I knew he was good, but when I saw him against Rhino, I was like, damn, that guy is really good.
2: Well, I'm going to go with him and Bernard as the next tag chance.
3: <laughs> That's just me. Well, whatever Actually, they decide to do with Carl. Uh, I, I would even... rather have
2: Carl teaming with, uh, with uh, what's the guy's name, Tomko. But, you know, Tomko's gone. He's in IGF or whatever the hell spin spinoff group is.
3: Well, I don't. I don't. I've, I found out about it yesterday. The sad news in the world of pro wrestling: uh, Suwama beat Tanahashi for the Champions Carnival.
2: Yes, I. I didn't want to. I didn't want to break your heart there, but.
3: Yeah, that uh, hurt my feelings. Oh, That's all um, right.
2: Ah, I forgot to bring this up. Uh, this episode of Rubber Guard Radio is brought to you by our sponsor, WrestleWarehouse.com. If you need. Uh, DVDs, lucha masks, t-shirts, WWE swag, Jeff even carries that stuff, you know, he's got to get paid, so www.wrestlewarehouse.com, tell them that KZ or Alex Saint from Rubber Guard Radio sent you, and the other sponsor would be fogcitywrestling.com, Saturday night, I'm itching, brother, Uh, doors are at 6, bell time at 7, I suggest you get there about 5, I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna let the cat out of the bag how many tickets are sold, but I have a good idea how many. Um, I'm just saying, get there early. That's all I'm gonna say to you guys out there in the Bay Area. Uh, get there early. Um, it's gonna be another fun show, and uh, this show is uh, this is their third show, and they're without a uh, without a big name. Per se, I mean they have Reno on top. A Black Pearl is on top in the main event, but they don't have Rikishi this time. So they're they're hoping that the the angles that they ran in the last show, you know, are strong enough. And I I personally think they are. Um, no Gangrel this time. Gangrel will be in for a tag match next month. Um, so that's what's going on uh, this Have we talked about that
3: Kung Lee Frank Shamrock fight yet? Oh wow. I, hey, I was waiting on you, brother. I saw it before you. Oh my god, that fight! I've seen it twice in the past couple of days. It was actually, um, I was actually with someone last night who, uh, generally, I don't find you know, MMA fans, uh, like hardcore MMA fans. You generally don't meet them. I actually met a guy last night, and um, I actually met a hardcore uh, MMA fan, and um. Uh, <laughs> He actually was aware of, you know, all the fights or whatever. He hadn't seen the fights. So I watched it again with him last night, and he was just putting over about how awesome the fight was. I mean... Oh, shit. Well, after hey, we dude. saw it. <laughs> hey, hold on just a second.
2: This has been announced by Fog City Wrestling. The world-famous SoCal indie legend Disco Machine will be announced this Saturday. I'm stoked, man. Oh, Disco wow. Machine. For
3: the Machine. Disco Machine. Huh, that's great. This awesome.
2: <laughs> oh boy, yeah. I, I'm sorry to don't. Have, I'm sorry to cut uh, you off there. I just uh, got a bulletin posted by the the people who run Fog City, and I was like, I'm looking down. I'm like, okay, I knew all these people were gonna be here. And oh, disco machine. Oh wow. wow, that's gonna be cool. Awesome. That yeah, this awesome. Goes awesome. Huh. But uh, anyway, Frank and Kung Lee.
3: Now that was a
2: all right, that's fight of the year so far.
3: <clears throat> uh, I, I definitely would say it is, too. I mean, that fight was just amazing.
2: Yeah, it was uh, good stuff. And Hello? let's see. We have a caller here from the 858. Whom am I speaking with? Who are you waiting to hear from? The champ is here. What's
1: going on, guys?
2: How you doing, Adam? Welcome to Very the good, man.
1: I'm a, little, I'm a little late. I apologize. I uh, got home a little late from the gym.
2: Oh, it's all good. At least you're going to the gym. Yes, yes. Indeed.
1: And I'm oh, drinking I'm a beer, off. so that probably doesn't help.
2: Well, you know. <laughs> I am on the line with the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Scrap Daddy, Iron Pierce. Uh, Adam Pierce, excuse me. Whatever works. Welcome to Rubber Guard, brother. How are you doing tonight?
1: I, I'm well. I appreciate it. How are you guys tonight?
2: Oh, kind of quiet tonight actually. Not not a lot of news other than uh, your boy Carl Anderson uh, latching on with New Japan. Yes, That's yes. I actually cool.
1: talked to him yesterday. He's doing good. He's doing he's doing well. He's happy, uh, making a little bit of money, which doesn't hurt, and uh, you know just doing what uh, the machine gun needs to do.
2: Yeah, couldn't happen to a better guy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's true. Absolutely deserves it. He's worked hard and uh you know, he came from Cincinnati out to California to try and make things happen and, and fortunately met the right people and now he's kinda of seeing some of the benefits of that hard work and uh I for one couldn't be happier for the guy. Like I said, he's probably one of my best friends in wrestling and he definitely deserves it.
3: Well, Mr. Pierce, I would uh I would like to go into by saying that I'm I'm currently training here in San Diego and that uh, part of my training is that uh I get to set up rings for Mr. Jeff Dino at the SoCal Pro shows. Ah and, good. Uh, and then along with uh paying my dues or whatever, I, I see it as a as a great honor because at least once a month, at least if I'm lucky, I get to see one of the best pro wrestlers in in my opinion in the world in and Scrap Iron Adam Pierce, uh wrestle for uh SoCal Pro Wrestling. And then there's two matches I would like to bring up in particular because they both had uh different dynamics. Uh the first one I believe took place in January. It was you against uh, SoCal Crazy, who's a local San Diego wrestler. And then at the time, I I thought that was one of the best matches I had seen live. And uh, I would like to know some of your thoughts about that match. Uh,
1: You know, I I didn't really have any expectations going, and only because I had never uh, wrestled with SoCal Crazy before. And to be perfectly honest, I'd only seen him in probably one or two matches and it's kind of hard to gauge, uh, you know, what a guy has to offer based on watching one or two matches, you know, on a on a, on a small show. So I didn't really know what to expect, uh, although I, he's always been very humble and always worked hard and is a hell of a nice guy. So I just went in there with, with kind of, you know, eyes wide open, just saying, hey, you know, let's do what we can do and, and uh, do what we can do to put on the best show. And fortunately, I think that uh, he and I have decent chemistry. So... It came off. It came off well for the first time for two guys being in the ring together. So I'm looking forward to the next one, and I think he's definitely got potential. Um, I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years to see him on some bigger shows, and, uh, and I'd like to see him travel more. And, and he and I have talked about that, kind of get it out of the uh, the rut of of staying local and and working out in different areas, and especially working different people and uh, experiencing what other guys have to offer and how different, it can be in different areas. I mean, you're only going to get better by working more people. So uh, I, I enjoyed the match, and I, I, I assume and uh, fully anticipate and liking our next one here coming up in, what, a couple of weeks.
3: Yeah, it's uh, the next show, uh, Saturday, April 26th, and then I'm not just putting my this match over because he's one of my trainers and you're one of my favorite wrestlers. Um, this match I'm very, very anxiously looking forward to, and that one-year anniversary show that SoCal Port Wrestling is putting out, it, it, it has an awesome lineup, front to back, and if you're anywhere within an hour radius of Oceanside, you definitely need to make your way up there to see the show. And then um, at the last SoCal Pro Wrestling show, it had a it, it definitely, ha- it was a different type of match, but um, in 2008, I didn't think I could see a wrestling match where the fans, because, I mean, people know you're involved with the National Wrestling Alliance and that um, Ricky Mandel isn't exactly involved with the National Wrestling Alliance, but it seemed to me like All the fans in Oceanside honestly believe that Ricky Mandel is going to beat you for the belt, and I just have to say that was amazing. That was amazing what you and Ricky were able to pull off that night. What were some of your thoughts about that match?
1: You know what? It it was kind of the similar dynamic from the standpoint that, again, I had never wrestled with Ricky in the past, and I'd only seen him on a couple of different shows. Um, Everyone had been telling me how talented they thought he could be, and how good he could be, and that he just needed me in the right situation. So I just kind of went in there, because I wasn't originally booked for the date. I was supposed to be out of town, and my uh, date fell through, and I let you know, Jeff Dino know, hey, I'm going to be around. If you've got a slot, I'd love to come down. If not, that's fine, because it was short notice. And he said, well, how about working with Ricky Mandel? And, I, and, and not to disrespect Ricky at all, I said, are you sure you want me to come down and pay me to do that? And he said, "Yeah, I think it would be good for Ricky." And I said, "Well, if you want to do it, I mean, let's do it." And I couldn't have been happier because one, another guy eager to work, eager to learn, and uh, fortunately, uh, I seem to to be able to work with younger guys. And in fact, I have the most fun in the ring working with younger guys because they are listen and they they they're eager just to just to do something different, you know. Um, and we put in some time. I think we went about 20 minutes, and that might be the longest match he's had. And it was just a, a situation where I, I just kind of felt out and said, you know, Ricky, what are you good at? What do you like to do? What do you do that looks good? What do you do that you think this, this crowd will buy? Because going into it, I did, it's like you said, I didn't know that it would be believable that Ricky uh, – you know, I hate having the matches where you know who's going to win – and I felt like this was a perfect example of that for the people because if they, if they don't have the opportunity to suspend disbelief, it's harder to get them to, to, to buy into what you're doing in the match. It's harder to get them to react the way you want them to. So we had to, to try and set the tone early that Ricky was a threat. And so we just kind of worked around it. I mean, the whole match pretty much was shining uh, what Ricky's good at and and the the way the, the match was put over the way it was because of how he sells and I was super impressed with that because in today's independent wrestling and especially and this goes for Ring of Honor or even the bigger NWA shows I've worked it seems like babyfaces today forgot how to sell and that's all Ricky did in that match was sell his ass off and the people bought it and when you've got sympathy from the crowd on a babyface it makes my job a hundred times easier. I don't have to do anything, really, and they're going to react for it because they just want to see Ricky make that comeback. And fortunately, that's exactly what happened. And by the end of the match, uh, you know, Ricky even said, I can't believe that they were reacting for the things that I were doing the way they were. And I said, you know what, man, the credit goes to you because you you made them believe. And he really did. And I think he took a step forward and – you know, if he works like that all the time, I think it's, again, another guy who in two or three years I wouldn't be surprised to see on bigger shows. And he would deserve it, too, because you couldn't ask for a
2: more humble guy. Well, I'm, I'm up here in Northern California, and I wasn't able to see the show, but I did get a DVD of it uh, this week, and I saw the, uh, the February and the March SoCal Pro shows, and I was really, really impressed with, with what you did with Ricky. And the thing is... He is a viable challenger, even though he's 0 and 10.
1: Right. You know, right. I mean, it, it, it's just you know, if you can, if, again, make the people believe. You know, give them a story yeah. that's easy to follow. That's it.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, it had me hooked, and I knew, and I knew the result. But right. I was still sitting on my couch, and I was hooked. And you know, to be honest, that's going to be my push for SoCal Match of the Year. But that's just my opinion. But I have not seen January yet. I will be seeing wow. January next week, so we'll we'll see. It's either one of those, and and I'm not putting it over because you're on the show or because Jeff is one of my sponsors. I just I enjoy the work and I enjoy the matches. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, cool.
3: Um, well, um <clears throat> oh, go ahead, Alex. Okay, I was going to say um, I want to get into a little bit of your history, but I'm going to go about it in kind of I guess a unique way. Um, sure. What were your thoughts about uh, WrestleMania 24, and what are some of the things that really stood out to you?
1: You know what? I, and this is going to probably put some heat on me. I didn't. I, never, I didn't even see it, and oh, and wow. I regret that only because I had some family obligations that day. Normally, um, I don't watch a lot of wrestling on TV nowadays. Um, mostly, honestly, because I don't like what I see on TV. Um, I kind of have the stigma of being old school, and I guess that's kind of true because I. That's what I like to watch. Um, I was interested in seeing WrestleMania 24 because one of my best friends in the business, Punk, had a really high-profile match, obviously, which ended up winning, which is good for him. And then, obviously, Ric Flair's match against Shawn Michaels, which I'll end up seeing. Um, but I couldn't see it live, unfortunately. Um, from what I've heard, and I watched the Hall of Fame ceremony, and I talked to Punk the, like probably 15 minutes after his match, it was just a super emotional time for all those guys backstage. Cole Cabana was there, too. He even played uh, one of the uh, paparazzi for Molina, which is cool. Uh, I don't know if you guys know that, but that, that I was instrumental, and we were all together running the roads, you know, for 10 years before those guys oh, yeah. had blown up. So it's it's really, like, I live vicariously through their their experiences and their successes, so it's great. Um, I need to actually sit down and, and see more than, like, the last three minutes of that Ric Flair match to really appreciate it. I can tell you that... Based on how emotional it was and what the response has been from wrestling fans, I'll probably sit there with, you know, as much tears as anyone else flowing because, like most guys who pull out a pair of boots, Ric Flair is one of the biggest reasons why I even do it. So uh, it's just a matter of finding time to sit down and watch it, but I need to, and I feel like a retard for not, (laughs) honestly.
3: So um, so when did you first encounter CM Punk and Colt Cabana? Um, CM
1: Punk, I was probably in for a year and a half, maybe two years tops, training out of a a camp called Pro Wrestling International on the north side of Chicago, and this would have been 98, roughly, and uh, Punk was working with, and I hate to say this now, but it's true, so I'll say it, he was working with with, uh, pretty much a backyard group in the area, and him and a couple of the guys that worked with that group were looking on looking into actually being trained by, you know, obviously reputable professionals and they ended up coming about uh to that camp a couple of times and that's where I first ran into punk. But didn't really get to know him at that point until Ace Steel and Danny Dominion opened their school which was called the Steel Domain, also on the north side of Chicago. And so I was there finishing up and I was probably there for another two years just trying to polish my game while I was working uh, small independents in the Midwest, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Indiana, stuff like that. And then Punk and Cabana joined the school both in the same week. So from that point on, I mean, it, it was pretty much me, Punk, Cabana, Ace Steel, and Danny Vinion running the roads. Wherever we could get booked, we would go. And that carried on until about 2000 when I moved out here. And then, of course, those guys went on to pretty much work everywhere while I was out here and, uh really hone their craft and and fortunately we keep in touch I probably get texts or emails or phone calls from those guys two or three te- two or three times a week so it's a it's definitely one of those lasting relationships and and it's like whatever territory or wherever we're working you know we we're always putting over the fact that we're all from the same Chicago crew so it's uh it's definitely it's definitely a good thing and a cool thing
2: Well um a friend of mine that that lives in Wisconsin ACW Mark, he emailed me today, and, and he's obviously a very huge Adam Pierce fan. And he, he sent me a couple questions to ask you. Um, sure. What are your memories of working for MAW in Milwaukee and ACW in Wisconsin? MAW in Milwaukee was Mid-American Wrestling run by
1: Carmine Dispirito, who coincidentally, Carmine Dispirito is now one of the uh, matchmakers for NWA Pro out of out of Southern California. So I've known Carmine for probably... Twelve or thirteen years now, um, that's pretty much where I got. That was like the first place that gave me work outside of my training camp when I first broke in when I was seventeen. So I always have to hold Carmine in high regard because, you know, that first promoter who thinks you're worth anything and is willing to throw you a couple bucks to do, you know, what you're what you've been training to do. You, you kind of always hold a special spot in your heart for. So I, I probably I would say I had my first good matches for Carmine because. Up until probably a year and a half, two years in the business, you know, you're just working with guys and listening and just doing what you're told. And Carmine was really the the first guy to give me an opportunity to, to kind of do what I wanted to do, and to kind of you know uh, try and and fail at things and learn from my mistakes and get better and work with different talent. Uh, he got me my first European tour. I mean, there's just so many memories of working for MidAmerican, and then. Uh, ACW was based in Green Bay, so that's just another two and a half hours north of Milwaukee, and that was owned and run by a guy named Mike Mercury. And uh, I had a blast working up there because they always had hot crowds, and they would draw seven, eight hundred people into this indoor. It was like an indoor, um, I want to say, sand volleyball pit, but they, you know, you've seen like these indoor soccer arenas and whatnot. It was basically that, but they had, they did volleyball. And they had a bar, and they would have bands in there and whatnot, and they would just pack them in. And so, like every three weeks to a month, they'd have a show, and uh, it was all local guys. You know, it, uh, Ken Kennedy got his start there, so I've known him since he broke in. And of course, Punk and Cabana were working there, and I had some was really there good matches. There too? Austin Aries was working okay, there, there? He, when he first broke in. Yeah, he worked Sean there.
2: Bari.
1: Sean DeVar, all those guys. I mean, it's – it's.
2: that's type, stuff, I, brother.
1: I, yeah, I feel really old sometimes when I look at the guys who I've been around when they first started. I mean, even out here when I first came to California, Samoa Joe was only working for like a year, and look at him now. And uh, It's just funny, and it makes you feel real old. Um, but those two promotions were awesome, and uh, I had some really good matches in Green Bay with a guy named Dino Bambino who just vanished vanished off the face of the earth, but it could have been really good and he worked for IWA Mid South and did some things. But uh yeah, those were great times. Great times. I you know, uh I wouldn't have passed it up. I mean again, hot crowds, and especially in the late nineties, uh things were easier to do. You didn't you had some uh what you call, you know, your your internet marks or smarks, but uh and, and you know, everyone's a wrestling fan, including myself, but it was it just seems like it was easier then. but, but whatever. We move on and we go forward.
2: Okay, now since we're since we're discussing those gentlemen, um, do you have any road stories, you know, being traveling with uh with uh, Punk Cabana, Ace, Dominion, Dave Frazak and Chuck E. Smooth. Well the name yeah, I haven't heard for a while. The Golbon Mafia, yeah. I think yeah, it, I mean we would uh
1: Well, we were really stupid sometimes. I mean, just, you know, it would be random things. Ace would rent these minivans, and I don't even know where he got them from, Enterprise or whatever. And it was pretty much, you know, let's say we were doing Minneapolis from Chicago. So that's about a a six-and-a-half-hour drive. And Ace would be the senior man in the car, so basically he'd set the rules, you know. And it would be shenanigans from the minute they picked everyone up to the minute we got to the building, and then on the way back, you know, so... A lot of times we'd like stop at a. One time we were we went to Cleveland and I remember uh, I was driving and Cabana we had a sunroof in this thing in this thing so we're we're driving along, and we had duct taped like the entire inside of this van, and I'm thinking to myself now looking back I mean I don't know what did Ace take the duct tape off and like did it not leave residue did he not have to pay for it I mean whatever so there's like duct tape and garbage all over the inside of this van and we go to a Walmart parking lot and. Uh, at that time, Cabana liked, he always, like, would reference chaps, you know, like like cowboys or bikers wear. So we're driving up and down the aisles of this Walmart parking lot, and he's popping out of the sunroof, and he's asking people, excuse me, ma'am, do you know if they sell chaps in this Walmart? And the people would look at us like we're idiots. And he's like, you know, you know, assless chaps. I need some chaps. And then, like, all of a sudden, the door would fly open, and we'd water bomb them with, you know, with, uh squirt guns or with, you know, water balloons, and just stupid stuff like that. Just ridiculous shenanigans to pass the time. Or we'd have, like, Ace would say, okay, we're, we're driving, if we're going to St. Louis and at six hours we're only listening to one song the entire way, and we if you fall asleep you'd get chopped or get some crap thrown at you. It was just ridiculous stuff. But it was always better than the 20 bucks you were going to make at the show, you know what I mean? You drive That's for true. six hours and act like idiots for all that time and, and make, you know, really long lasting friendships with people. I mean, where else can you pack six or seven guys in a van and act like ten year olds and get paid for it, even if you're not getting paid a lot, you know what I mean? Yeah, I have to agree. So, um
2: tell me about the Goon Squad gimmick.
1: The Goon Squad. I think the Goon Squad was a brainchild of rockin' Randy Ritchie, who was one of my original trainers. And the gimmick basically was if if they if they needed a like a heel tag team, they would put two dudes in shorts and they'd have nylons, you know, like uh, thigh high nylons over their head, and they were goons. And you know whatever your definition of goon is, he always said that he saw the gimmick in Memphis for Jarrett, which I've never seen a tape anywhere of idiots wrestling with nylons over their head. I think it was a rib to begin with, but that was Punk and Cabana's first deal before they were able to wrestle as you know themselves or whatever names they wanted. If they there was a spot open or somebody didn't show up, they would need someone to be a goon, so one of those two would be a goon. And they tagged a couple times as the goons, and it was funny. And Brad Bradley or Bradley J or whatever the hell they call him now down in Florida for the WWE Developmental Territory, he was a goon when he first started. Just funny i think at one point all of us were goons probably still are depending upon who you ask
3: <laughs> <laughs> well i would like to fast forward some time mr pearson on um april 28 2007 you uh lost the match in his last match in ring of honor colt cabana and uh yeah. i saw the ending interview you did at the end of the match and then when you spit in cabana's face that was a very very interesting send off because generally uh when you have a send off, the the guy who's leaving loses the match, and then instead of having respect and admiration for him, well, you kind of had some of that, but then you ended up spending his face. It was just very interesting. So I was wondering about the thoughts of why it was handled the way it was handled. Uh,
1: because I, I, and I don't want to insult anybody, but I think sometimes now it's it, it's more in, in, it's more increasingly difficult for a heel in wrestling to be a heel and to actually get heat that a heel is supposed to get because they end up doing interviews like this or, you know, talking uh, positively about their their opponent or whatnot. So we basically did it as a swerve because I think everyone had anticipated, okay, Cabana chose me for his final opponent because of our history and whether or not that was a popular choice with the fans in Chicago, it, it didn't matter. Um, but I said to him, and, I, and to, to Gabe, the Booker, Ring of Honor, I said, I mean please tell me I don't have to like give him a hug and all that crap after the match. I mean I can do that in the locker room or at the bar later on, you know. I don't want to I don't want to go out there and and basically beat on a guy or, you know, give the impression that I'm trying to injure or, or beat my opponent for 15 or 20 minutes only at the end to give him a hug and you know slap him on the ass and give him a kiss and say, great job, I miss you, or whatever, anything like that. I said, can we please not do that? And thankfully, he was on the same page and said, I'm glad you said that because I don't want to do that. He goes, how about if we, we tease all of that because that's what the people will be expecting, and then you just swerve it on him and do a 180 and spit right in his face. And I think it was even Cabana who said, why don't you just spit right in my face? And uh, so I tried to work up a really big loogie. Uh, just to make him pay for it. And I actually I actually missed. I mean, I got almost like half of it, but most of it went in the crowd, and I was pretty pissed at myself. Um, because you don't really get opportunities to just haul off and, and hawk one right in somebody's face, you know, at least not without expecting a fight. But, yeah, oh, that was fun. That was a good time. And uh, it was emotional. Again, the guys were all emotional. I had just, when Punk left, it was like two weeks before I started in Ring of Honor back in '05, so I didn't get a chance to see that. Um, but I'm told it was pretty similar backstage when when Cabana got the call to go to, and Matt Seidel, too when he left, and that was a weird night because not only was it Cabana's last night, it was also Chris Daniels' last night because TNA was pulling all of their talent, so it was like losing like you know a huge part of the foundation at a locker room all in one night. It's a really weird
2: night. Well, um, we're going to discuss uh, a promotion that's that's across the bay from me. Uh, I live near San Francisco, and we're going to talk a little about all-pro wrestling. And, uh My personal favorite Adam Pearce match was uh, on July 28, 01, where you worked my personal favorite wrestler ever, Mike Modest. Yeah. Any stories about Michael?
1: I always liked Mike, and as a matter of fact, Mike calls me from time to time. Um, you know what? I think that match, if I'm remembering the right match... He had just gotten back from Japan either the day before or two days before. And I remember he was hurt and didn't want to do a whole hell of a lot. And uh, so we went out there and kind of did our match and whatnot. And Mike was the senior man in the ring. So by all accounts, he calls the match, you know. And I think we were scheduled, Roland wanted us to go 15 or 18 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we probably got 10 minutes in and Mike was ready to go home and uh, he's like, you know, let's take it home, and he was calling the spots, and I I interrupted him and called one of my own, and I think I hit a pile driver on him, and we kept going for like another two minutes, and the referee, when we went to our finish, the referee was supposed to count three, and I think it was an Oklahoma roll was the finish. I was going to give him an Oklahoma roll for a quick pin out of nowhere, and the ref stopped counting at, at two, and so then obviously... If that's your finish, you have one of two choices. You can ad-lib and go to something else. But when it was so blatant like that, that the finish was blown and everyone in the building knew it, uh, I think it just ended up that me and Mike ended up beating the crap out of the ref together. (laughs) And then so we left, and it was kind of like, okay, you know, that was odd. You know, that sucked. That's not what we had planned or whatever. And sometimes things like that happen. Then we got backstage, and I was like, hey, you know, thanks for the match. And Mike got really pissed at me for – basically calling a spot on him that he wasn't comfortable taking because, you know, he was beat up from Japan and tired. And, uh, at that time, I think what, I'd probably only been working for, I don't know, four years, four or five years, or in 2001 when did I start 96, so five years. And obviously Mike was the senior man. So it was cool, uh, from the sense that me and Mike had ke- good chemistry and I felt like a tool afterwards because I, I basically, I could have put him in harm's way by calling a spot that he wasn't ready for. and uh, he called me on the carpet for it, and, and it was a good thing. It was a lesson learned, and I always liked Mike. I wish, uh, I wish Mike would have uh, been able to stay in Japan more with Donovan Morgan and make more money, and uh, I know he's doing all right now. I think he lives in Northern California right now, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Mike. I was surprised Mike didn't get a bigger <laughs> shot in WCW when him and Chris Daniels first signed back in the day.
2: It's a shame. Yeah, I, um, it really to is. To be honest, I've, I've never seen a heel on the independent level with the heat that that man had on the mic. Yeah, I mean, oh, he, was awesome. wanted, he there were people wanted to kill him,
0: and yeah, Mike I, mean, I awesome. love
2: his work too. He's just oh, amazing, amazing, amazing talent. Okay,
3: Let's see, okay. you There's were in long. the uh,
2: the second King of the Indies, um, and you worked Doug Williams in the first round. Right. What do you think of Doug?
1: I love Doug. I think Doug one of the best pure wrestlers on the earth. No doubt about it. And, you know, it's funny about that. We got a lot of heat. Well, I should say I got a lot of heat. When that thing was booked, the King of Indies, you know, uh, I guess in Roland's mind, Roland Alexander wanted this to be uh, modeled after a Japanese-type tournament, you know, with, with minimal crowd interaction, uh, definitely not not relying on heel or face necessarily mentality in the ring. It was more or less an athletic exhibition between two wrestlers. And I'll be honest with you, that has never been my strong suit. I've never been in uh, what I would consider that good of a a pure wrestler to go in the ring and just exchange holds for 15 minutes and have it be enjoyable. I'm super bored when I try to do that. When I watch tapes where I have matches like that, I just turn them off because I can't stand watching it. So... I remember in the locker room when they were having a meeting, I guess, you know, to try and go over these concepts. And I had gotten there late and I missed the meeting. And I think Spanky did too. So I got filled them what they were doing. And, and my first question was, well, if we're doing a straight wrestling tournament with no heels or babyfaces, why am I even here? Like that's, it just didn't make any sense to me. And Spanky was like, yeah, I agree. I don't like this at all. You know, I'm obviously a babyface. Pierce is obviously heel. Why would we go out there and not play to our strengths? So I think that pissed rolling off from the beginning. And uh, fortunately, I was in the opener that night against against uh, Doug. So I just told him, I said, hey, man, we can do whatever you want to do. You can you can do all the fancy wrestling you want. I said, but when it comes to my portion of the match, I'm just going to try and get heat. I'm just going to work like it's 1970, and I'm probably not going to even bump you a whole lot, and I'll cheat and choke and punch and kick and do what I do. And you know what? If I get heat for it, so be it. But it, that's what I'm going to do because it's the opener, and there's no reason for us to go out there and, and do 100 finishers. in in, in 10 minutes there's just no reason for it and I knew that you know as far as pure wrestling was the matches after us were going to be uh featuring guys that were way better at it than I am so I just kind of went against you know what Roland wanted and kind of did what I thought was best for the show and again that's probably not what you want to do when you're a younger guy in the business but I've never claimed to be uh the easiest guy to work with um and I'm not saying that, you know, as a bad thing. I just thought it was better for the show if I went out there and did what I did. And the crowd reacted to it. You know, and that's what we wanted. It got the point across. And I wasn't going on in the tournament anyhow. It was basically my job to make Doug Williams look as good as I could. And we accomplished that. So, yeah, uh, Roland wasn't too happy after the fact. But, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, it's 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 that was a weird tournament anyway with some of the things that went on with bison smith later and donovan later in the tournament and i'm not even sure you know what i'm referring to but a lot of people didn't really agree with the direction that apw was taking at that time and it wasn't just me and i think that even to this day i think there's still some residual heat even though we're what seven years later and i saw roland at that uh san francisco wrestle fest and and you'd think we were best buddies but i've read some things that he's written you know uh i think i read somewhere that he said you know if if i wasn't playing a heel, I wouldn't know how to wrestle at all. And that's unfortunate because i would never disliked Rowan personally. Um, but I guess he holds a grudge more than I would.
3: Well, uh, Mr. Pierce, I, you keep making references to old school, and I don't i don't necessarily believe in old school new school. I just think there's right and wrong. And I believe that uh, 95% of the stuff I see you do is right. So I would like to know where you got a lot of your ideas and opinions about wrestling from. Was it what you grew up watching, or was it certain people in your life that uh, imparted that knowledge onto you?
1: You know what, I, and I'm glad you, I like the way you put that. You know, it's not so much new school or versus old school, it's right versus wrong, and
3: I agree with that.
1: Unfortunately, that's not a, a real popular opinion amongst the younger wrestlers today, um, Fortunately for me, it, it allows me to stand out, which is why I think I have a job in a company like Ring of Honor, where what I do is completely opposite of 90% of the rest of the guys in the company. So it, 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 it kind uh, of you know, gives me a spot by default, which is great. Um, and it boils down basically to what I grew up watching. I grew up in suburban Chicago, and what we saw on TV from as, as young as I can remember was the AWA And if you watch some of the AWA stuff now that they show on ESPN, you look at it and you go, oh my God, this is some of the worst wrestling I've ever seen in my life. Um, Just because of the the format they use for those ESPN shows. But I grew up watching guys like Nick Bach, Winkle, and Bobby Heenan, and, and, you know, Vern Gagne, although I. I don't obviously wrestle like Vergagna, but those type of talents coming through and the young Jim Brunzel and even guys like Tito Santana that started out in that territory. I mean, even Flair started there. So I remember watching that stuff on T V, All Star Wrestling, and then uh I don't even remember when it was that I discovered that the NWA on T B S, but then it was, you know, Ole Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard and Rick Flair and Magnum T. A. And, you know, and a young Sting and and, and that stuff is is always what grabbed me as far as wrestling and then much later with wwe when it uh, was wwf at that point and you know when i was a kid i loved hulk hogan and all that too but even in that early stuff um the style was pretty similar you know and that's what i fell in love with and fortunately the guys that i worked with my initial trainers was a man named sonny rogers who worked on a lot of underneath cards for verne gagne for 15 or 20 years and Randy Ritchie who worked for the USWA in Memphis. So that's how I was trained. I was trained the way that they were trained and the way that they were working and and uh I've just I guess I've just stuck to that. So
3: um that's why I do what I do. I have a question. i on the most recent um ROH pay-per-view you're involved in a scramble match.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So uh
3: knowing about a lot of your mentalities, how do you feel about being in a scramble match?
1: Hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. I will say this. They're fun because it's, it's balls to the wall. It's 100 miles an hour. And fortunately, like we, we did a tag scramble. So there were, what, four teams? That's eight guys. Uh, I think they gave us eight minutes. So basically it was, all right, everybody pick one or two things that you want to do in the match and then get the hell out of the way. You know, And it's hard. Obviously you're not going to really be able to tell any type of psychological story with eight guys going 100 miles an hour in eight minutes. So we, we have our finish, and it's pretty much, okay, we have a puzzle. Let's try and get, you know, eight pieces together of this 100-piece puzzle in eight minutes and get to our finish. And fortunately, and they I've seen them where they're hit and miss, where guys would just go absolutely insane with the spots and whatnot, and the crowd will absolutely sit on their hand. And I think fortunately, because we were in New York City where they're always hot um, – they were there for us, and it it gets the adrenaline going. Definitely by far not, not my favorite matches at all, in fact, because I can't remember spots. If we, called, if we called a 10-minute match in the back and called it all, I would forget half of it. I just don't have the memory for that. I'm better off just kind of working on the fly once we're in the ring. Um, and with a scramble, obviously, it's kind of getting from A to B to C to D to E to F, and you've got to remember the letters in between. Otherwise, you screw up the sequence, and then pretty soon – you're all screwed up. So that was a fun one. That was a fun one, but generally I hate those matches.
3: I'm just now realizing that maybe an hour with you, Mr. Pierce, isn't enough time because this next question is uh, going in a completely different direction. But um, my friend will get mad at me if I don't ask. Um, last sure. week we had, we had Sean Davis from the Heartbreak Express on, and he Wait. is uh, one half of the AWA Tag Team Champions. And he was saying that on a couple of occasions during title defenses that uh, the matches have almost brought uh, – become a shoot because the promoter has told the tag team, hey, go out there and take the belt off these guys. So as the National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight Champion, have you ever had a a match turn into a shoot where someone's trying to actually take the belt off of you?
1: No, no, thankfully. And I like Sean, and I like Phil, the heartbreak express a lot. I think they're awesome. Um, And it surprises me that they would have guys trying to do that to them just because of their personalities and how they conduct themselves in locker rooms. You're not going to find two more professional guys ever and um i've been lucky uh i haven't had anybody try to to throw a hold on or choke me out or whatever i mean i think that'd be absolutely ridiculous in this day and age for somebody to actually try to do that i mean we're all we're out there working for a common goal and that's to entertain the fans and make our pay whatever that pay happens to be and and just because one of us has a title belt for whatever company you're working for um that has really nothing to do with your goal out there, and anytime you're in a situation where somebody is trying to go into business for themselves and is going to put their opponent in harm's way so that they can try and carry a belt, which is a prop which doesn't in this day and age guarantee you more money, that's just a ridiculous thing it's just a concept that I can't even understand uh and I'm sure there's guys out there who are just complete idiots. That would think, oh, it would be great if I could be the AWA Tag Team Champions or the NWA Champion or whatever. So I'm going to try and, you know, twist this guy's shoulder out or pop a kneecap or whatever the case may be. And I've been lucky. I think most of the promoters that I've worked for aren't going to put me in the situation where I'm going to have to defend myself. And that's a good thing. Uh, You know, I'm not a shooter by any means. But I I've never backed away from a good fight, so I you know, if that were to ever happen, it would get ugly. The match would fall apart in a heartbeat and I'd get my ass kicked. You never know. But
3: uh
1: <laughs> hopefully it never comes to that. I can't see that happening.
3: And uh Ring of Honor's six year history, in in my opinion, uh they're starting to develop one of the greatest things I think they've ever developed, um, putting together two of my favorite wrestlers and that is uh the merger of Swing Sour International and the Hangman's three. So now I get to see uh more interactions between you and Larry Sweeney. What are some of your thoughts on Larry Sweeney?
1: Larry Sweeney is awesome. Larry Sweeney, I, Larry Sweeney, I guess I would, I would say, and this is high praise, um, he is, he, I guess he's today's Bobby Heenan, and I don't really know any other way to really describe it, and I wish there was a way that Larry could find himself in a situation to capitalize on that because he oozes charisma. You put a microphone in his hand and he's gold. And and he memorizes all his damn speeches. I don't know how he does it. I had this conversation with him in Philadelphia at the last pay-per-view taping. We were kind of going over what we were supposed to get across on the microphone to put over the whole merger. And he's like reciting this thing word for word. And I'm looking at a script because we, we have a script, and I never follow it. I mean, I kind of do. But he was like, on oh, man. And I said, Larry... How do you memorize all this stuff? I go, you're nuts. And and he's a super intelligent guy and a and a great wrestler too. And he unfortunately really hasn't got the opportunity in Ring of Honor to do that much yet, although I think there's gonna be some some places for that, you know, going forward. But it's just like you hear all the other guys say, when Bobby Heenan was a manager, he was still the best wrestler on the card too. And I think that Larry Sweeney in the right situation against the right opponents can have great matches. And it's going to be fun to see what kind of interaction we're going to have on the microphone, especially because uh, Larry and I think a lot alike in terms of um, how wrestling should be, and especially you know uh, when it comes to mic work and things like that. We're real similar in that end, and uh, and we, we like a lot of the same things and the same uh, historical guys and the same angles from the past, so it's really easy, and I think the chemistry is going to be really good. And we're just getting started with it, so yeah. I mean, it's looking up. It's definitely looking up.
2: Um, as far as um, being being a touring champion, um, I've seen that you've you've worked in the Midwest. You've worked all over California. You've worked in the Virginia area. Are there any up and comers, you know, that you see on the horizon, you know, that that would you know possibly be able to move up to the higher echelon up the cards?
1: Dude, you know, there are guys in every territory, and I don't care where you're working. Um, there are guys that are awesome everywhere. And it's unfortunate, and it's just a byproduct of how wrestling has turned out in the last 25 years, that the, the actual territories, as they were defined in the early 80s, don't exist. But they do in a sense that you can still go to all those areas, and all those guys were still brought up by the same guys that were there before them, so it's like the territories never fell apart, except there's no money in them anymore. So now you've got, instead of one head honcho in each area, there's probably three or four promoters who don't realize that if they actually worked together and promoted one card, they would all make money and, it, and they wouldn't lose on five shows when they could run one. Um, you mentioned Virginia. There's a guy in Virginia named Damian Wayne who I think's awesome. And I think the yes, only thing that's is. holding him back, the only thing holding Wayne back, and I don't even know if it's so much of a crutch, but you know he, he's 35 years old, and he got into the business late. And uh, I—he's a hell of an athlete. I know it. I think he played minor league baseball, and he's in great shape. And he can talk, and he looks the part. And uh, I'm actually going back out there on May 10th. We're going to have another a rematch for the world title out there in Virginia, and I'm looking forward to it because I think Wayne is definitely one of these guys that, uh, in the right situation would definitely can get a look i know he's had a sniff and done some dark matches for wwe and and has some connections in tna and uh he's worked some of the pre-shows in ring of honor in the past and is actually working in florida now for fip so i would i would hope that he'd be in ring of honor sooner than later um in texas uh there's a guy named psychedelico jr who's been on Mm -hmm. some shows and he's actually a third generation luchador and uh He's only been working American style probably for the last two or three years. But, again, we're you know, talking about in, a natural athlete. He
2: was in um, he was in San Diego in Oceanside this past Sunday. He had was like he? Oh, show. yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, uh,
1: the Show Palace or wherever they, they, whatever yeah. the name of that building is. Yeah, I like him a lot. I wrestled yeah. him in Houston in, in front of 4,000 people, and you would have thought he was Mil Mascaris in his prime. Actually, Mil Mascaris was on the show, too, and, and, uh, and he got a hell of a reaction, and he's just super easy to work with. And looks like a million bucks. He's probably 6'3", 240, cut, in good shape, and, and can talk a little bit. And uh, I'd like to see him branch out. It seems like he stays predominantly on, on the Lucha-oriented shows, but he's a guy that I think could cross over, too, because he's just he's, he's personable, and he can work. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. He's a good
2: size, too. You know, he's not definitely. the, the, the misterio type
3: smaller No, no, not at all. Liar, he's he's
2: but...
1: definitely a bigger guy, definitely.
3: Well, Mr. Yeah. Pierce... Um, you were uh, predominant in the Midwest, and then in 2001, I believe, you made your move over to Southern California. And uh, obviously you've, you've had a great, great he- career over here in Southern California. But my, my question is, how was that transition from being someone established in the Midwest and then coming over to Southern California as an unknown?
1: You know, it, it's funny. When I moved out here in November of 2000, just after Thanksgiving, and I had moved out here with the intention of not wrestling I I had experiences before I left Chicago with WCW that I didn't end up taking the developmental contracts that they'd offer, and I had made the decision to go back to school and, uh, you know, met my wife out here and decided I'm going to move to California and kind of start over because when I had my interactions and dealings with WCW in 99 and 2000 was right when that entire company was going to hell in a handbasket, so... I didn't, I, and I had spurned, I, it's not like I had contract offers from WWE, but I had tryouts set up that I spurned just to go to WCW uh, on the recommendation of Paul Andorff and Terry Taylor, so I knew that going back to WWE and saying, hey, oh, can I have my tryout now, wasn't going to be an option, because you think, you know, and I was 19 and 20 years old that you had burned a bridge, which it turns out I never did, but so I decided, you know what, the heck with wrestling. I didn't like my experience in Atlanta. I was going to go back to school, get my degree, and, and, you know, whatever, and get into the workforce. And it's like a million guys have said a million times, once you've got the bug, you 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 always get back to wrestling. And and honestly, that's, you know, I, I grew up wanting to play football, but wrestling was my second love. And, and since I've been with it so long, it's obviously my only love next to my wife. But uh, so when I moved out here, I, I – I guess, like you know, the 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 independent guys had known of my name. I don't think many of them had seen me work, so um, I probably laid low for the first six or eight months that I was out here and hadn't wrestled at all. And the first show that I wrestled once I was out here was for a company called Millennium Pro up in the in the Valley, uh, L.A. And I got that hook up through Chris Daniels, who I knew from Chicago, and he said, "Hey, you know these guys, you know they pay okay." And uh, part of the reason why I didn't work when i first moved here is that i was accustomed to making a certain figure in the midwest and then moved out here and the only offers that i had got when i had inquiries were substantially lower and i guess you know at some point you you ego says to you well you know i feel i'm worth x amount and if if this guy's only going to offer me this amount i'll stay home so that's kind of the attitude i had and and only until Daniel said, hey, man, you know what? You might want to check these guys out. They're going to put on they put on decent shows, and I work for them, and you know, I'll vouch for you, and blah, blah, blah. Um, did I did I really throw my hat back in the ring? And that first match, my first match back really was a three-way me, Chris Daniels, and Frankie Kazarian. It was the first time I wrestled Frankie, and that was, well, I guess, 2001, yeah. Somebody told me that was on YouTube, that match. I haven't seen it. I don't even have a tape of that. I'll have to go look for it. But, uh, yeah, that was fun. And then... Uh, through that, then I got referred to Rick Bassman and UPW, and I got referred to them by Kevin Kelly at the WWE, who I was dealing with before I pissed them off by not going on tryouts for them. So and I worked for Bassman, and it kind of just spiraled from there. And pretty soon there was Epic Pro Wrestling and PWG, and here we are today.
2: Tremendous. Yeah. Okay, we are uh, we're running down on time. Um, sure. But I I did want to ask you. Ask you a question, um, and uh, Dave Meltzer's WrestlingObserver.com uh website on the 17th of April, uh, he posted the results from the SoCal Pro uh, Wrestling show from the night before, and I found I found here during the in the write-up that there was there was something that really disturbed me as a fan, and and I'd like to know your opinion, and I'm going to read this word for word from the report. It says, sure. Adam appears be Ricky Mandel to keep the NWA world title. Then in parentheses it says, my, how the title has fallen from Luthez and Ric Flair to SoCal Pro Wrestling. Any opinions on that? I mean, I, I personally was offended.
3: Yeah, you know, I,
2: and, I, and I've met Dave, and I've done Dave's
1: radio show in the past, and Dave's opinions are Dave's opinions. I guess there's a couple ways you can look at it. If any of us, and this is probably his point of view, If any of us, any wrestling fan, is naive enough to think that the NWA world title means the same thing in 2008 that it did in 1983 or 84 or 85 or 86, I mean, obviously, we're not talking apples to apples. A lot has happened in professional wrestling, in particular with the NWA between that time and now. So I think it's a little unfair, maybe not unfair, but unfortunate that Dave would even need to print that because to me, um, when you look at the lineage of the belt, sure, you go from Flair, you know from Lufez to Flair, and and uh, then there was a lull from '94 until whenever TNA picked it up, and you had you know guys as champion, you had Steve Carino and Mike Rapata and Dan Severn, and. I've always thought that the NWA as a governing body has put itself in the best position that it could given its circumstances. So obviously when Jim Crockett was at its heyday and they had Ric Flair and they had Barry Windham and they had Sting and the Four Horsemen and that belt was the, you know, the top prize in the sport, that's a great thing for the NWA. But when, Ted Turner buys Jim Cracker Promotions and pulls out of the NWA in 94 and kind of leaves the NWA in a situation where now it's lost its national television exposure. It's lost its top stars. Uh, What is that as as an organization supposed to do? So you put it on the best guys that are available that aren't under contract and hope that they can carry the belt to some honor and have some reputability and, and do what they can to, to keep the NWA title in the highest esteem possible. Okay, then they get another opportunity with TNA in, what, 02, I guess, when they started going national, and it was a no-brainer. The, TNA wanted the NWA titles. The NWA certainly needed the exposure, and so it was a win-win for both companies. And that went on until it fell apart, and there's a, there a bunch of reasons why it fell apart. But regardless, the NWA then takes control of their belts, and TNA gets their own, And now the NWA is basically in the same position it was in 94, which is, okay, we can't put it on anybody in WWE. We're not working with TNA anymore. What are our options? Do we put it on someone from New Japan? Do we put it on someone from down in Mexico? Or do we find somebody homegrown here in the States who's affordable to the NWA promoters, uh, has a decent enough reputable name that it's not not, you know, ridiculous that this person could carry the belt and ultimately i wasn't the first choice but it ended up coming to me and i've done the best i can given the tools that i have and be that my own booking myself out myself or the nwa board of directors finding bookings for the title or or whatever they're doing the best they can i'm doing the best i can with it and it's stupid for anyone including dave Meltzer. To ridicule something that obviously is in a different circumstance, a different day, and a different time. SoCal Pro Wrestling didn't need to be buried on a website that has, I don't even, what do you want to say, millions of viewers. I mean, let's just say millions of viewers. There's no reason why these people who've never seen a SoCal Pro Wrestling show need to read that and automatically think that SoCal Pro Wrestling is some junk, bum-fed, that is crap. Because it's not true. And if Dave Meltzer was to see a tape of their shows, I'm sure there would be talent on there that he thinks is subpar. I'm sure there would be talent a matches on there that he thinks is great. And for someone just to blindly throw out that opinion, regardless if it's valid or not, just to, to, just to disparage what people are trying to do, really to me there was no point. There's no point in saying that. It's just ignorant in my opinion. And I actually emailed him after I saw that. And, and all I said was, Dave… Thank you for bearing the NWA title in SoCal Pro Wrestling. We all appreciate it. And that's all I said. And I never got a response, which I'm not surprised. But you know what? To, to Dave's credit, he provides a service for, for a bunch of fans, and uh, and he makes money at it. So God bless him. And then he's entitled to his opinion, and none of us have to agree with it. And I, I wasn't so much offended by it as I was disappointed because, to me, to, to compare the NWA of 85 to now is just ridiculous because it's not the same beast at all. And anyone who's involved in wrestling would know that. So why can't we just embrace what it is? You know, It's not like it's 95, 96, and the NWA isn't running shows and the champion works once every four months. I mean, I'm defending this thing at least twice a month, at least since I since I got it in September of 07. I'm doing my part. And you know what? And I'm happy that, that Pro Wrestling Illustrated came out this month and there's a really good spread on the nwa with some really good pictures and i think it's out on newsstands on tuesday i was happy to see a copy of it and it's good it's positive and it should be because anything that's good for wrestling and what the nwa is doing now is good for wrestling doesn't deserve comments like that there's no reason for it none
2: whatsoever well mr pierce i really appreciate your time um, I would love to have you back on in May, if possible. Sure. Um, like uh, My co-host is uh, sending me a message here. He says that we just scratched the surface with you. So I really appreciate you coming on. Um, how can fans contact you or uh, promoters that would like to book you? How can they contact you?
1: i got a couple of websites, and neither one of them are updated nearly as often as they should be, and that's because I'm lazy. I'll admit it. Uh wwwfreewebscom iron. there's a contact button on there it goes to my hotmail it's scrapdaddy74 at dot 74hotmailcom uh or you i'm sure you could uh go to nwa-wrestling.com and click on their contact tab and, and if anyone's interested or you know wants a wants what i can bring to the table for your show i'd be more than happy to do it uh like i said i'm all about trying to do what's good for wrestling and and uh if I can help a promoter and the promoter can help me, then then it's a win-win and let's do it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have a line of space because I'm not that advanced. So, you know, whatever, ringofhonor.com, or you know, was it ringof- Rohwrestling.com, NWAwrestling.com, or my website and my email, scrapdaddy74 at Hotmail. And uh, I just appreciate being on, man. It's fun, and I appreciate you guys' format. And, uh, again, anytime, man, I appreciate it.
2: It's all good, and um, I'm going, I am going to, when I get off the air, I'm going to give Mr. Jeff Dino a call, and I'm going to see what I can do about getting you booked in a title defense against Chris Escobar. I saw this guy on, on this past uh, NWA showcase, and that kid is really, really good. I think you know these guys He's... would match up. Pretty well. Huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. He came from he came out here from NWA Virginia, and he's worked with uh, Damian Wayne a million times. I I can't believe I forgot him. Yeah, he's out here now. I guess that's why I didn't bring him up. Uh, but yeah, Chris Escobar is awesome, awesome, pure talent. Chris Escobar, and and he'll be around on some California Independence, I'm sure, and and on some of the bigger NWA shows because he's definitely
2: an awesome talent. He's he's already sent out feelers, so we will be seeing him in SoCal Pro very very soon. Awesome. Um, well. Once again, Mr. Pierce, thanks for coming on, brother. It was definitely my pleasure. I will be in contact with you. We'll uh, hopefully get you booked in May, um, closer to the uh, SoCal Pro Wrestling Anniversary Show.
1: Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for
2: having me on, and uh, thanks for supporting wrestling. All righty, brother. Thank you for your time.
1: All right, guys. Take care. God bless.
2: All right. Okay, okay. Alex, Now, now that was... All right, you know what? I'm going to go on the record. I'm going to have to say that that was the best interview we've had on Rubber Guard Radio, and it took us 50 episodes to get that one done.
3: <laughs> we've had a, we've had a lot of great. I mean, um we had, we've had a lot of great ones, and I had about a million more questions I could have asked them, and a lot of That's other okay. stuff I would have liked to got into. So I'm definitely looking forward right. to having them back. We'll, we'll get him on again, brother. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> Right. Remember, <laughs>
2: remember, he, he, he tends to work for my sponsor, so, you know, I, I seem to have the heads up above other radio shows. So it's cool, right. you know, I have an in like that. So what we're doing is we're waiting for Mr. Kenny Boland to call in. Um, it looks like Kenny's dinner is running a little late, so he should be uh, calling in very soon. So what else is going on in the
3: news? Uh, Frank Frick has been added to the lockdown uh, doing commentary for Angle versus Joe. So um, it's interesting that they would have outside MMA sources other than UFC sources. Um, you know, because it seems like they should be able to get someone with UFC because the Spike uh, TV deal or whatever. But um, it's very interesting how hard they're pushing this fight. as like a, this wrestling match is more of an MMA hybrid. It's very interesting. It's very unique.
2: It's going to – I have the feeling it's going to be a, U, a UWFI type, you know, it's going to be Vader and Takata again kind of thing, you know, where they're going to just stiff the shit out of each other with strikes and kicks, open-hand strikes and kicks.
3: Yeah, I mean uh, – I don't it know. Very I mean, it's, it's built and, up a lot more interest for me than just your standard TNA pay-per-view.
2: Well, I'm, I'm just interested in the main event. There's nothing else on there that even gets me close to thinking of ordering it. You know, it's not – for one, I, I, I just can't stomach the product. And two, there's just really nothing there. There's nothing else hot. And then after
3: this Joe Angle match, then what? Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying if you want to build up interest for one match, for one show, um, I mean, it's definitely it's, – I mean, it's it's building up interest for me. You know, it's just interesting. So I definitely – uh, it should be interesting to see what the buy rate is for this paper. I'm just saying, I mean, it's just building up interest, you know? I mean... You know,
2: this this, this should have been the the angle and, uh, you know, the stipulations and whatnot for their third match in their
3: series. Yeah, it but you can't go back and rewrite the past. And... So you can't go back and rewrite the past, and it seems like... Um, it's just very interesting. I mean, it seems... Uh, I haven't been watching the TV shows of late, and it's just I've been hearing a lot about what they're doing for this match. Is just It's good that they're, you know, able to build up some kind of interest for this match. I mean, I'm interested in it. I don't know what the buzz is over uh, anyone else, but I just know for myself it's very interesting. But um, (laughs) did you watch uh, the first show, of Ultimate Fighter? Yes, and the second one. Okay, well, I haven't seen the second one yet, but the first one, I got this overwhelming... I love The Ultimate Fighter television show, I have to say that, but it just really... I really got the overwhelming feeling after a while because uh, I, I had a full day of just watching MMA. I've watched uh, a couple of the last UFC pay-per-views. I watched Force show, and then it's just it, – it baffles me that they can still find talent, the caliber of what they had. Because Forrest Griffin is a co-host on the show, and as we all know, he won the first season, him and Diego Sanchez, and it's just – it's going to baffle me if they can continue to find the caliber of talent that they were able to find with the earlier seasons. Mm. Well, I, think Tommy, in... a, I oh. think Tommy Spear is a. I think Tommy is evident of that because Spear, I mean Spear is Got really it. good. Oh. In natu- yeah, but he's definitely not ready to be one of the big guys in UFC. And I mean Forrest, Forrest. Forrest was somewhat ready from when he first came off the show, and.
2: Well, Forrest was ready before. Forrest didn't need the show, but we look, have on the line the king of OVW, Kenny Bolin. How you doing, boss?
0: Boy, I was almost late, wasn't I? I was almost late. Just getting back in from a late dinner tonight and walked in the door, saw it was 12.32, my time, and realized I had something I'd promised somebody I'd do tonight, and that was you, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So just got going through out enough. there Pardon?
2: In uh, Louisville. How's it going out there?
0: Well, I just got done doing the uh, DCW show tonight and uh, went out and had dinner with a couple of the boys and uh, just getting back here in time to get online with you guys. OVW still going strong. Uh, crowd attendance, uh, even uh, since the uh, WWE departure, crowd's still going strong. House show's going strong. Uh, we're, we're very pleased with the direction every, everything's going in right now. Cool. Um, but I bet you all WWE? have a ton of questions. Now, I've, I'm sure you all got a ton of questions. I'm going to dedicate as much time to you as I can, but I have been trying to recover from a bad cough, so bear with me through this. I might be coughing on you a little bit. (laughs) Um, And I have no cough button, so uh, just bear (laughs) with me through this, and we'll get through it as best we can. Cool. Okay,
3: how how is OVW and uh, the the staff handling the loss of uh, Timmy Baltimore, who just signed a WWE contract?
0: Funny you bring that up, because I didn't know a thing about it until I got the television last night. Oh, wow. uh, Timmy Valdivore was a real nice addition to the show. I thought he did a, <coughs> thought he did a real good job with us, uh, especially with the three-man broadcast crew on OVW. It was more or less Dean Hill as the play-by-play guy. Timmy Valdivore, the facts and figures guy, does all the stats and details and backgrounds on everybody. And then I chime in with my two cents worth on what they say. So uh, Originally, I didn't really like the three-man team. I kind of liked it being me and Dean. We clicked pretty good together, but... Uh, Kind of similar to how I'm sure Lawler and Ross feel about each other. They probably don't particularly like a third wheel out there too much. But uh, uh, Timmy Timmy was a nice addition. I liked it a whole lot better than I thought I would. And I'll actually even say it, I'll actually miss the little guy. <laughs> All 120 pounds of him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, a friend of the show that was trained by uh, Buddy Wayne and Brian Alvarez up in Seattle has made the move to Louisville, uh, Shiloh Mount. Have you gotten Shiloh, a chance to see him think, in
0: the ring? I think uh, I saw Shiloh briefly tonight. I think Mm -hmm. he was, I believe he was in one of the dark matches uh, tonight. And from what I saw, he did a great job. Uh, If if I'm not mistaken, does he have an an aerial attack to his game, a lot of uh, unusual maneuvers and everything?
2: Something like that.
0: Yeah, he was, uh, I didn't get to see much of him, but from what I saw tonight, I was impressed with what I saw. I I think he's got uh, some promise to him.
2: He has a handful of matches, you know. He he has, Oh really? He doesn't have that much four, experience.
0: Yeah, yeah no, I don't know a doesn't. whole lot about the boy yet, but I'm sure as time <laughs> goes on and as Rip Rogers gets his hands on him, I'm, I'm sure he will he will progress nicely.
2: Yes. You you will see. The uh Man Beast will eat Brian's or Chico's <laughs>
0: friend. So did you guys get to see the uh one hour uh, match with uh, Man Beast and uh and Chico?
2: Very good stuff.
0: Man, that was an unbelievable match for a couple of guys. Number one, I don't think Chico had been in the ring in probably three or four years, I guess. And uh, man, Beast, not a ton of experience. Uh, He's just been in the OVW system, I guess, a couple of years or so. And uh, maybe not even that long. Uh, Primarily known as a referee. And, uh, boy, he he sure impressed us all. He did a heck of a job uh, right along there with Chico.
3: What were your thoughts when you first found out that – Whoever, uh, is, it, is it Rip Rogers that made the decision that, uh, the man, like you just said, a man with uh, not too much experience and a guy who's not known as an active wrestler were going to go out there for an hour. Was that almost a rib that Rip was playing on him? Or? Well, uh,
0: you, you got you got to remember, I, um, I go into the shows pretty much 100% totally unprepared because I like to sit <laughs> at the desk and call what I see. So I had no clue uh, how long that match was going to go. And I like to keep it. I do that for OVW television. People find that hard to believe, and, and Danny Davis will tell anyone that comes through. He says, "You people may not believe this, but Kenny Boland does not prepare. He walks in the door at six fifty-five, and he's on the air at seven o'clock. And uh, and I and I treat Derby City the same way. Rip Rogers wasn't too fond of that at, at, at first, but uh, I think he uh, he uh, along with everybody else uh, agrees that 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 uh, I I just feel I would do much better work if I just walk in and call what I see. And uh, so I had no idea whether they were going to go a minute, five minutes, or an hour. I had no idea. And uh, But I was very, you know, as the time went on, it was getting evident what was going to happen. And uh, it was an impressive match. Uh, what did I think when I first heard it was going to be Chico against Man Beast? I'm thinking disaster because I didn't know anything about Chico. I just knew what, what I did know about him. He hadn't been in the ring in three or four years. Uh, he was going to come down here and work a wrestler that he had no knew nothing about. And um, it, it just, to me, uh, had the blueprint for disaster. Two have never wrestled each other before. They don't know each other's styles. Uh, how is this going to come across to the to, to the paying audience? And I have to tell you what, I have to eat eat, uh, eat my words and my thoughts because they put on one hell of a match, and it was actually one of the better matches that's ever been held in that arena. And, and I don't care if it's OVW, WCW, WWE, Six Flags, it, it don't matter. Uh, it's been one of the better ones that, that 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 I had ever seen in that arena by any participants from any company.
3: How are the and Ohio I mean, values? and I mean that
0: with I mean that with all my heart.
3: Yes, yeah, sir. Mm. It was a it was a very outstanding match. How especially for
0: guys? especially for two guys that had no idea what the other one was about.
3: That's that, that's exactly it. That's
2: the X factor
0: because mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. they
2: they didn't know each other. I mean, no. Uh, no.
0: Uh,
2: Dinsmore and and the Damager, or Dinsmore and and Basham or Conway, they all. Oh, yeah. I mean they worked together for years. Yeah, they've been they working in symmetry. the same pro- they've
0: been working in the same program and same territory for seven years, mm-hmm. and at least you can get a feel for each other's style and maybe what type of match your audience is going to want and and uh, and play off of that. But that was not uh, an option uh, for them to. Basically, Chico more or less got off the plane, showed up with a suitcase, asked where the ring was, and uh, and uh, that was about it. That was that was your that was your preparation for the match that night. So uh, the, the biggest, no, for them to get in there and put on that type of performance uh, was pretty incredible.
3: The, the biggest thing that really stands out to me about the match is that it was good, and then the fact that uh, Ted called it <laughs> because um, it's not with today's wrestling scene. It's very rare that you can find a heel of that level of experience be able mm-hmm. to completely lead the babyface in a match, and that's just a very. I mean. <laughs> Like OVW needs any more proof that it's uh, one of the top training facilities in the well, United Well, I'll, I'll tell you,
0: my evaluation when when Man, when man Beast first uh, showed up here, and then I believe that's what they were calling him was Man was Man Beast. <clears throat> and I used to see him hanging around the practices and everything, and he'd get in the ring and he'd do this, that, and the other, and and uh, and I think he came come up to me and, and asked me what I thought of him and, and evaluated his talents and whatever. And from looking at it, I said, well, first of all, you're never, ever going to see a day of television. You're never going to be on the OVW TV show. I don't know that you'll make a good wrestler. I'm not so sure that you'd make a good manager, and I'm not even sure you'd make a good referee. But if you want to come here and pay your money and, and try to learn this, then, then you're more than welcome. You know, no one's going to run you off as long as you put out a good effort, come to practice every day, and do your best. He said, but, but if you're asking my opinion, you're never going to see a day of OVW television. And he showed us all wrong, because uh, I got with Rip Rogers later, and it turned out Rip Rogers told him exactly the same thing. And he has probably come further on less God-given talent than anybody I've ever seen in the wrestling business. And uh, you can drop names on me all day if you want. I don't know who you're going to drop on me who had less to begin with than uh, Ted the Trailer McNaylor. I mean, just a shy kid, always had his head down, never made eye contact with you, just as humble as the day is long, and, and, and now he's got all this newfound confidence, and, and he can get in the match and go with anybody. I mean, I don't care who it is. I'd throw him in there with uh, John Cena, and I bet you they'd have a good match.
3: How are the Ohio Valley uh, fans that are regulars, um, how are they reacting to the, the talent that they had become accustomed to seeing to not seeing him anymore?
0: Well... Here here's what you, you got to understand. Um I kind of wondered the same thing when when I knew the split was coming and they had been spoiled with the uh, with the uh the line of talent that we've had here since 99. And what you got to remember is is basically there's still pretty much that same talent here. It just doesn't have the labeled WWE contract talent attached to it. Uh, these are all people that are trying to earn a WWE contract talent. Because right now, and I'll, and I'll say this, this is this is me speaking <clears throat> on my personal opinions and my feelings, there's not really anything in Florida right now that we didn't train and develop and send down there. Now, I will take away from the ones that we sent them, but there's not anything in Florida right now that I'm going to put up that's really all that much better or all that more talented than anything that we've got right now. Uh, Yeah, maybe maybe more God-given talent. You've you got to remember that WWE has searched the world over to find these guys that they have in Florida. We have people that have gotten in their cars or took a bus or whatever the case may be and showed up here on um, just determination and whatever money they had in their pockets to want to learn the wrestling business, to want to get in here, go to beginner class, Uh, advance and learn and get to Rip Rogers' class uh, while we had the WWE contract uh, wrestlers here to eventually one day get into the advanced class where the WWE wrestlers were. And those are the people that I want. I don't want a guy who was found in the gym and said, hey, you look like you'd be a good wrestler. Have you ever heard of uh, Dick the Bruiser? Uh Uh-uh. You ever heard of Jerry the King Lawler? Yeah, I've heard the name. Ain't he that Raw announcer? Well, if that's all they know about him. He don't know a whole heck of a lot about the wrestling business. And I want people that love wrestling and know wrestling and uh, and know the history of wrestling because uh, the, those are the people that will, I, in my opinion, will stick it out for the long term and be a benefit to your company, uh, unlike these people who want to make fame and fortune real quick and have been here eight weeks and think they're already better than Kane and The Undertaker and Ric Flair and Stone Cold Steve Austin and a lot of them and don't want to pay their dues and don't want to earn their way through the wrestling business. Uh, there's way too many of them in the business right now as it is. And once again, that is my humble opinion.
3: Well, uh, I don't know if I'd go as far to say that uh, I believe that people can tell the for- tell the future, but um, if you ever want to do something real freaky, uh, listen to a Jim Cornette interview around 2003, uh, because I have a shooter interview from Jim Cornette, and then mm-hmm. he says all All these amazing things in 2003, like Batista will headline a WrestleMania, and and John Mm -hmm. Cena will be a star in this business. and Mm -hmm. It's just all these these amazing things that he says. But uh, one of the things he says that uh, made me happy... Well, I
0: managed managed John Cena for the better part of two and a half, three years, and feuded with Batista for seemingly the better half of uh, two and a half, three years. And, yeah, we knew all these guys had... uh, that's a little bit different in that era as to what we have now. I knew Rico was going to be a star if he was just given a chance. <clears throat> in my, and Once again, in my opinion, Rico should still be in the WWE right now. Rico Constantino was the ambassador for... for uh, everybody flocked to be around him, and he was the most <laughs> positive influence of o b w that we've ever had here. Uh, and i'll and I'll say even more than John Cena now John Cena has made a bigger impact and probably means more to wrestling now, but when they were here together, it was probably Rico that was the most valuable uh the m v p of o v w at at that time uh but see back back in that era, you had all these guys you know when you look at sean o'Hare mark henry batista um uh, the, many of the, the the talents that I had in bowling services, the Bull Buchanans, um, Shelton Benjamin, Brock Lesnar, all these guys, you knew they were going to be stars eventually. It was just a matter of when. And, and the talent that we have now, you, you, it's not quite like that to where you know, well, this guy, this guy, and this guy are all going to be stars because now it's much more the WWE, well, who can fill this hole right now? Uh, rene dupree in my opinion, was not ready to be called up to the w w e but because of this French thing going on at that time uh he and and Syylvan Grandier were a perfect fit to be called up at that time and uh and you'll have to ignore people trying to call in on me It's just you know we'll just ignore them and you'll have to hear that beep every now and then
3: <laughs>
0: but um
3: now now it's
0: more now it's more whole filling than it is okay this person's ready let's bring them up and let's let's get them on the roster.
3: How how was it uh, WrestleMania 24 weekend? I don't know if you were able to see the festivities, but uh, Rick Flair's last hurrah.
0: Well, I have to tell you, I did not get to see the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame speech as of yet, but I did see the speech that he made on Raw. Rick Flair has been a pretty good friend of mine since 1986. Uh, we even had a friendly wager uh, when the Louisville Cardinals played North Carolina in '86 before they went on to win the national title. He's a huge. Not only basketball fan, but North Carolina Tar Heel fan, and he he means a lot to me. If, if anyone who's ever looked at my websites or uh, at com or has ever looked at my MySpace page or what have you, you'll see that my inspirations in wrestling were Jerry the King Lawler, who really made me love and want to be a part of wrestling in, in the early '70s, and Ric Flair, who I discovered after Lawler, uh, just for his passion and what the wrestling business meant and and how he appreciated the profession of, of pro wrestling. He was, um, the, the, those were the two that inspired me and wanted me to be a part of this business. And, and of course, Bobby Heenan, uh, I, I just never thought there was any better manager than him. Uh, Cornette's great, but you know, Cornette's been my best friend since childhood. Uh, yeah, we've had our differences throughout, uh, throughout our lively, uh, hood there. And, uh, and I guess for 10 or 11 years on television, you'd never know that we were once best friends, but, uh, uh, we're we're going to have dinner tomorrow. I consider myself probably one of the big dogs at OVW. Jimmy's one of the big dogs at TNA. So we're going to meet in Indiana, have some dinner tomorrow, compare notes about both companies, and and uh, probably reflect on a few old uh, get-togethers from time to time.
3: How, how has Ohio Valley changed as uh, World Wrestling Entertainment has pulled, uh, pulled I guess, uh, taken away your service?
0: Uh, you'll have to repeat that. I'm, I'm not hearing you real clearly, and I didn't get all of that question.
3: How has Ohio Valley changed now that WWE is no longer using your services?
0: Well, it's not, it's not so much that they're not using our services. What it is now is that we don't have a working agreement. As you can tell, they called back up uh, uh, Crime Time. Uh, they were OVW-produced and, and uh, were recently let go. And. And now just got called back up, and uh, Timmy Baltimore got got, uh, called up to the WWE and given a contract. Um, I believe he's going to be working in Florida uh, in the meantime, uh, helping out with their television show whenever they get that up and running down there. And, uh, of course, the WWE will still be uh, working in correlation with us with Six Flags. We're going to be having WWE stars and all the upcoming Six Flags shows. We're going to be running every week out there starting May the 23rd uh, here at the Louisville. Six Flags, Kentucky Kingdom. So it's not really like they've really totally gone away. We still kind of have what you would call a working relationship with them. Uh, But it's just, I guess it's that they don't really dictate the content of our television show anymore. Uh, Normally when you have OVW, uh, I'm sorry, OVW talent and WWE talent down here, obviously the WWE talent is what they wanted showcased on the television show. Well, now that they're not here, that created 16 slots. Uh, for people from DCW to move up and be a part of the OVW television show. And once again, people that weren't found or discovered and said, hey, you ought to be a wrestler, these are people that came here uh, on their own dime wanting to be a professional wrestler. So um, it's kind of hard to say how it's changed. To me, it doesn't feel like it's changed that much. If the crowds had dropped from... Five or six hundred on TV nights down to a hundred and fifty, then, yeah, I'd say there'd been a big change. But we still turn away fans every week at the television tapings, and, and plus we charge now. We didn't when WWE was here, so now we're charging money and, and, and still having turn away crowds. So, so I guess, uh, you know, I would say the change has not been all that dramatic, other than I'm sure that there's uh, money that the company's not getting to where they were paying us to develop their wrestlers. Hmm. So now we look for other avenues to to create those dollars. You know, we're now once again we're selling our own television show on on the
3: uh, on the internet.
0: You can get the weekly shows of OVW and DCW. You can also get the podcast for two dollars, uh, which to me is dirt cheap. I can't believe they do it that cheap, but you can get the podcast for two bucks uh, the minute the show's done on Wednesday nights. You don't even have to wait for it to air on. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on uh, Saturdays. So like I said, y'all got to bear with me with this cough thing. It's a. Uh, Television, I can speak in small parts, but when you're wanting me to fill an hour on your radio show, uh, we're going to have to just put up with a little of it.
2: Oh, it's not a problem, not a problem. So,
3: um,
0: now I,
2: I haven't been able to follow the OVW product, and I have been looking at past results, and and the one, the one person that that really stands out is Joey Matthews. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Joey as a talent? Uh,
0: really a, a very solid uh, talent from a from a working standpoint. Uh, been a, been around for a little while. Uh, Joey's had a couple of demons that he's had to deal with over over the years. It's kind of hard for me to feel like we can really take any more credit for Joey Matthews because he's already uh, been to WWE and had a, had a spin there, and, and I'm sure he's trying to earn his way back. He's still a young guy. He doesn't have a lot of age on him, and... And uh I'm sure that's within his goals as well is to uh, uh keep his life on the straight and narrow and, and earn his way back and get another opportunity with WWE. Uh or or whomever the case may be, but I'm sure WWE is where he would he would like to go back to. And uh but he he's already been here and we've already developed him. Uh we've already you know, they developed the uh, the M M&M and M scenario there, so uh the ball's in his court in my opinion. I, I feel he has the talent. And has the youth, and 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 could definitely make it back to the WWE. But that'll be totally up to him. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I I have to agree. I've been following his career since ninety six.
0: Now I never followed a lot of ROH. I didn't know a whole lot about mm-hmm. him before he got here. Mm-hmm. But I've been very impressed with what he's done since he's been here.
2: Well, he he came up he came up with the with the Hardys and the Carolinas. And wow, uh,
0: that far I I didn't realize he came up that far back.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's he's still really young. You
0: yeah, but no, he, he, he's got he's got all kinds of time. Uh, Rico Constantino never hit the WWE till he was practically forty years old. So anytime I hear anybody in their in their late twenties, early thirties, or even mid-thirties, oh, it's too late. I can't make it. You now tell Rico that. Rico was up there for four years. The average WWE career is three and a half years anyway. So if you can get up there and and make it for four years, if you can't sock away a million dollars in that four years, oh, you screwed up. Everyone's got the potential to be a millionaire once they get there. It's just, you know, you've got to take the ball and run with it when it's handed to you. That's
2: right. That's and you right. got to remember, Rico,
0: Rico was cut loose. Rico was, was, was cut, technically, when he signed his contract. He was on, he was on his 90 days. And uh, through him and, and, and some of us at OVW begging for him to get an opportunity, hey, you've cut him, he's got 90 days, you're paying him anyway, why don't you put him on the road and take a look at him? And they put him on the road like what they saw, and he got another four years out of his career that way. And forever he'll be known as Rico the Stylist. I mean, he has uh, never-ending fame based for the four years he was up there. And, and as far as I'm concerned, one of the more entertaining segments ever on SmackDown is when Billy and Chuck were going to get married, and Bischoff was tied into that. And hell, when Bischoff pulled that mask off and, and turned out to be Bischoff under the preacher's mask, hell, I thought that was one of the greatest things I'd ever seen on television, and Rico got to be a part of it. I was uh, very proud of him because uh, they fooled everybody. Nobody in the building knew that was coming off that way. Uh, I think just a handful of people knew what was going down that night, and uh, I was as equally as fooled when uh, when that old man was Bishop. I never had a clue until he said the the three minute thing, and then we said, "Oh my God, <laughs> they have gotten us all."
2: Wow, wow, they they fooled me definitely,
0: but uh. uh Excuse me. I'm I'm a
2: little under the weather too, Ken. I'm sorry.
0: Well, we'll just have um. to deal with each other, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: sir. Yes, sir. So, um, how often do you uh do you speak to Corny?
0: Uh, I would, well, when he's in town, I would say we uh we talked probably just about every day about one thing or another. Uh, we call it the noon report. Uh, we kind of check in with each other, see what's going on in the world of uh television and news and pro wrestling and Share five or ten minutes back and forth with each other. you got to remember, he's on the road pretty much a couple of weeks out of the year, or out of the year, out of the month, uh, with TNA. <clears throat> and on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I'm pretty busy with OVW, DCW, and then I'll have a house show or two possibly to do that week as well. So, uh, But when, when we've got, a, would say two or three days a week when when we're both not on the road. And uh, like I said, uh, we, we try to get together for a fish dinner uh, once every month or two over at a little... Little place we love over in Clarksville, Indiana, and we just realized we hadn't been there in four or five months. So we're going back tomorrow. Going to going to have a feast on some fish over in Clarksville, Indiana. Sounds good. Talk Go a little rest.
2: Food. A food. Little soul food will uh, a little bit do your heart really good.
0: <laughs> but now ah, Jimmy and okay. I are doing much better since we no longer work for the same company. As you, if you've seen any of the old DVDs or any of our, uh, I think we both kind of wanted to be the big dog at OVW. I was the announcer before Jimmy got there. Uh, When Jimmy got there, the first thing he did was fire me from the announcer's position because he had the power to do so because they had signed that WWE uh, developmental agreement. So it was within his power to do so. Jimmy wanted to be the announcer. Well, I thought I was uh, a pretty strong color man with Dean Hill, and I thought Dean and I worked pretty good together. And and with Jimmy at the broadcast booth, I felt it was two play-by-play guys. And I didn't like it. I wanted to be the announcer. But that just... What that did for me is it gave me the opportunity to create Bowling Services because if Jimmy had not fired me from the announcing booth and he said, if you want to be a part of this show, bring talented wrestlers to it. Well, that's what I did. I went out, formed the company Bowling Services, and, and uh, they knew I had a, a fair amount of experience around the wrestling business and uh, knew that I knew quite a bit about it and knew that I had the pull to be able to get them on television on the OVW television shows. So, uh, The first one I ever signed was uh, Mr. Black. That went on to Mr. Crony. Uh that went to uh signing Bull Buchanan, and then uh I believe after that we got Mark Henry and so I had a pretty good stable right there already, and then of course eventually that led to the John Cena's, the Rico's, the Sean O'Hares, uh the Bobby Lashleys, the Lance Cades, uh many, many others. I think we've had a total of uh, thirty six wrestlers and bowling services that advanced onto the WWE. But those were the cream of the crop. It At one like time, At at one time, not to interrupt you, Bowling Services nearly held all the world titles in in the WWE. You had Bobby Lashley as the world champion of ECW. You had John Cena as the champion of uh, WWE. And then the world champion uh, was when Mark Henry was feuding with Goldberg. And had Mark Henry not got injured, I have no doubt he would have been the world champion of, of, uh, well, you might as well say of SmackDown. And then all three world titles would have been held by uh, Bowling Services, and uh, that that would have been pretty impressive. So as far as I'm concerned, that was probably about as good a run as as one uh, manager can have uh, with his wrestlers that we created on, here.
3: <laughs> what What are your thoughts on uh is is Miss Densmore still the the trainer for the beginner's class?
0: Uh, to my knowledge, he is. I don't see a whole lot of the beginner's class, but to my knowledge, to my Nick knowledge. is still the trainer of the beginner's class, And plus he is the current OVW champion on uh, on OVW television, and he's been traveling. I've been a little critical of him. He's been traveling uh, all over the world uh, since he got here. He's been to uh, Ireland and Portugal, and uh, I think I heard he's got a Japan and an England tour coming up, and I've been a little critical of him. I told him there was plenty of good talent right here in in, in the Louisville uh, tri-state in, in the Kentucky tri-state area, right here in Louisville, Kentucky, and I felt he ought to be here defending the belt here, uh, a little bit. But I'm sure he gets big paydays to go uh, to these other foreign cities. And he said the OVW title is fairly well respected all around the world. And and uh, I guess he's doing what's good for his for his pocket. I guess.
3: What are your thoughts on? As long thoughts, as, he, uh, as he
0: defends it here every 30 days, he's he's under his contractual obligations.
3: What are your thoughts on uh, Nick Binsmore, Uh
0: other than
3: what we have already went into?
0: <laughs> well, Nick is probably one of the more solid uh, wrestling technicians we've ever had. Nick Nick is also a former member of Bowling Services. <clears throat> Rob Conway is a three-time member of Bowling Services, the only three-time member I ever had. Uh, some people <laughs> correct me and say, well, no, Mark Henry. Well, Mark Henry never really went away. You know, it was just me and Mark would have disagreements every now and then, and uh he would disappear for a while but he he was never really actually fired and rehired by Bowling services he he was kind of always with us just sometimes in good standing sometimes not uh but as far as a technical wrestler goes you probably there there's not any that are that are better than Nick Densmore and if you want to learn technical wrestling uh he is best suited for the beginner class because that's where you need to learn that style of wrestling at and uh, he, he does a fine job. Everybody that I know that's been uh, to his training classes uh, said he's head, uh, heads and shoulders above anyone else they've been trained by.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the the Christmas Chaos match with Chris Benoit was probably next to the blow-off match of the Bashams, the mm-hmm. best OVW matches I've ever seen.
0: Um, that was pretty just, solid. I was on the card that night and was backstage mm-hmm. and did not get to see <clears throat> a, a whole lot of that match but I did see a lot of the highlights on it on video and, and from everybody I've talked to that saw it, they still talk about it to this day as being one of the better wrestling matches they'd ever seen
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, no, no one got caught on fire no one did anything off a 40 uh, foot ladder uh, nobody got hit by a bus or a car to start the match, but as far as a technical wrestling match, uh, that's probably going to be one of the better yeah
2: no. <clears throat> Okay. Are we on still? Alex? Uh, I am. I am. Okay. Kenny? Ken? Okay, I think we lost Kenny. Um Kenny Boland should be calling right back in. Um well, Alex, you will uh you'll be seeing those um the OVW stuff very soon. Um you're gonna be very impressed with the uh, with the product from uh, 2003, um, especially the blow off between the Damage and Doug Basham when they uh, when they had to leave OVW to go to SmackDown to uh, be a tag team as brothers, and you'll see how Cornette wrote the segments and stuff to you know make um, bring a, the story to an end and whatnot. But yeah, that's good stuff. And plus, you know, I mean they they it was a wrestling feud, you know, where it was, I mean, sure, they had a sneak attacks, they, they, they had some cheating and whatever, but they also wrestled, and it was
0: solid wrestling.
2: But we do have uh, Kenny Bowlin back on the line. All right, Ken?
0: Man, technical uh, we... difficulties blowing through here. We got, the, we got bad thunderstorms and tornadoes heading this way, and, and uh, I don't know, something knocked us out there for a minute, but uh, we're back up and running.
2: Actually, I I think Corny just passed gas, but Well, that that that,
0: that that well, he only lives about 5 miles from here. That that's a good possibility.
2: <laughs> okay, Alex, as you were sir.
0: All righty. Getting back. Okay, we're back on the, back on the real phone now. How's that?
3: <laughs> that's
0: good. All righty.
3: Okay, so um we mentioned two great matches right there, Doug Basham and uh, Damage, uh and then uh, Ted Trailer and Brian Alvarez. What are some other matches that o- Ohio Valley's had that's really stuck out in your mind?
0: Well, I'll, I'll, one of my favorites I was ever a part of is when we were the oh, we were the last dark match at Freedom Hall on a Monday Night Raw card, which featured uh, Rico and John Cena against Brock Lesnar and Shelton Benjamin. And uh, we went into that match, the champions, uh, we did not emerge victorious in that one, but it was one heck of a match. I remember that the, the crowd response was equivalent to that of most any other match that was on that card. And especially when Brock Lesnar did the uh, uh, I guess, well, that 450 shooting star that he does, uh, that got like three or four replays on the Titantron, which never happens on a dark match. And uh went so well, we went back to the dressing room, and uh, thinking our night was over, and the crowd loved it so much, and plus the next people that were supposed to be going to the ring were not ready, and they wanted us to go back out and do it again, <laughs> and, and challenge them to a rematch right there. But uh, just as we was getting ready to go back out, me and Rico were getting ready to head back down and challenge uh, Brock and Shelton to come back out, uh, the people that were supposed to be in the next match uh, got ready, and... And uh, it wasn't so much a match, it was just some type of entertainment that was going to go on before Raw. <clears throat> and that entertainment wasn't ready to go yet, so uh, we were we were looking forward to going out there and doing it again. It was a fantastic match, uh, nearly uh, 18,000 people at Freedom Hall for that, and probably um, one of the better tag matches I was certainly ever a part of, but when you got Rico and Cena in there to manage, uh, kind of hard to go wrong. And of course Brock and Shelton's going to give you 100% regardless. The Minnesota Stretching Crew—they were—they were known as back then.
2: Yeah, they—they they, they were an exceptional team. They—they they were really good. And and I do remember seeing that. And when I when I saw that shooting star, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't right. Um, a man that size, two eighty at least.
0: <laughs> yeah, at least. every bit of.
2: <laughs> and then some, and it's just amazing. Um, do you follow mixed martial arts at all?
0: Uh, pardon, run it by me again.
2: Do you follow mixed martial arts at all,
0: yes, UFC? Here, here recently, I did. Uh, uh, as, matter, as a matter of fact, uh, Cornet is a uh, huge fan of the uh, of the of the MMA, <clears throat> and uh, he invited me over to his home here recently to watch the uh, the Brock Lesnar fight. And uh, I, you know, I've had a lot of personal differences with Brock Lesnar over the years. We've feuded with each other for a long time, and. I'm not pulling any secrets here. Brock and I just flat didn't get along. We didn't see things out of eye. He left here hating me. Uh, I've never really spoke extremely high of him. And and uh, we, we just we just didn't get along good. We just didn't see things out of eye. So I went there to uh, uh, see him and get beaten in his MMA fight. But i got to admit, he got off to a heck of a start and was doing a good job, I thought, for his first or second match there, however many that was. Uh, that he was doing a good job, but uh, he kind of slipped up, and his ankle got in the other guy's uh, hands there, and it was all over at that point. But uh, nah, no, no hidden secrets between me and Brock Lesnar. He, he and I just didn't click too well.
2: He's he's going to be a major major UFC star. He's just got the the raw talent.
0: Well, I, you know, I'll I mean, agree with you. I'll agree with you. The raw talent's there, and if there's anybody the who's got the anyone who's got the tenacity. Uh, to make it in that sport. And, and you can't tell Brock he's not good at anything. Uh, anybody that had the guts to try to play in the NFL and, and to play professional football and was not really having much of any of a football background. And he was convinced he was going to make it with the Minnesota Vikings and start. And I wasn't going to bet against him because uh, there ain't been a whole lot put in front of him that he wasn't able to accomplish. So now, Brock, uh, you can say what you want about Brock Lesnar. If, if he puts his mind to something... Uh, he's normally going to succeed at it. I, I will give him that.
3: Yeah. How how were um when Ohio Valley had uh people that were paid to train there, the developmental guys, how were they as leaders?
0: Uh give me a reference of what you're speaking of as, as to who.
3: Well, I'm I'm not speaking of anyone in particular, that is an extremely broad question, Absolutely. but was, well my mankind. if you're asking
0: who my favorite trainers were, uh they well, no, never I'm, remember.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> Well, I'm speaking of uh, the the dynamics between the guys who are paid to train there. Oh, the okay. So you're, you're 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 not there. you're
0: you're not speaking of like a, a, a of an Al Snow or a Lance Storm no, or no, something no. like that. You mean people no. that stepped up in the locker room and proclaimed themselves, uh, or were assigned to be locker room generals? Yes, sir. Is that your question?
3: Yes, sir.
0: Uh, one one person who proclaimed himself as a locker room general. Uh, later in the uh, in the, uh, OVW, WWE era, was, uh, was Tom Coe. And Tom Coe was a big, intimidating guy, but in my personal opinion, Tom Coe had not really been around that locker room enough because we still had guys like Nick Densmore and Rob Conway, people that had been with us seven or eight years, <clears throat> that were still around at that time. And and to me, longevity and knowing the right ways to do business, knowing uh, how the wrestling business uh, is to be run. The, those are your locker room generals. Those, those that know uh, what locker room etiquette's about. Those that know to get up out of a chair if you've been there in the company six weeks. And there's a guy that's been there for six years at standing. You know, just just the, just the common decency and common sense knowledge of what to do in a locker room. And uh, I just I just felt Brett at that time had kind of stepped up before his time. You know, we still had others there that uh, that were more established.
2: Well, you 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 did mention Tom Tomco. Uh, never
0: mind, Brett Tomco was a baseball player that I knew for the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Reds. Reds. And uh, he,
2: he was. Yeah, because uh, I'm mind. also a
0: big Reds fan, and I and I do a lot with the Riverbats here, and I get to know a lot of their uh, players uh, before they go on to Cincinnati. And <laughs> Brett Brett Tomco was one of the ones I like. I just realized <laughs> he, I just called Tomco Brett. So well, yeah, you know he, who I'm talking was, about was, that big was, that big tattooed sucker too. that's down in TNA.
2: Yeah. Well. Well, we mentioned him. Tomko, I think, is is the most improved guy that I have seen, and and I credit that with his his touring for New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm the, I'm going to go along
0: with you on that. I do watch TNA a because I, I do watch TNA because of Jimmy being down there, and and I'll watch any wrestling that's good. I don't care if it's ours, WWEs, or what have you. Uh, if I'm entertained by the show, I'll watch it. And uh, and I have to agree. I think Tomko has come a long way from where he was when he was here at OVW as to where he is now. And uh, you know, they say they say the sky's the limit for him. He really he really has a heck of an opportunity down there. And um, I guess big muscle bound guys I've never really gotten along with. Me and Tomko didn't get along too good here either. Uh, but you know. Fat, mouthy manager has opposed to big, jacked up, muscle bound wrestler. You know, we're, we just come from two different worlds, anyway. So,
3: but no, nah, but I'll
0: you know whether I like him or not. I'll tell you what I think about him and I, I think Tomko's doing a great job down there. And yeah, it, it takes a, it takes uh, a lot to make me say that.
2: And the 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 thing is though, in in New not, Japan, not not Brett
0: Tomko. We're talking about Tomko, <laughs> the tattooed <laughs> up, big muscle bound oh, wrestler. Like it.
2: <laughs> but it, see, it took Tomko getting nailed a couple times in in New Japan, and you know he he wouldn't have been he wouldn't be where he is if he didn't take that chance and and mm-hmm. go on the tours that's 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 the problem nowadays uh guys don't want don't want to go go around and train with different people they they don't yeah. want to work with different well, people well you're, their... you're
0: only you're only you're only going to get better if you work with people that are at least as good as or better than you and uh you can you can stay in a territory for ten years and if you're only working talent that that's far less experienced than you then how much better are you going to get? And then when you do step in the ring with someone who's got five years, ten years experience on you or has been uh, working with people that are far more talented than you, then uh, you're not going to look so good. So, yeah, I, I would say he did things the right way there.
3: Um, now, since uh, we brought it up earlier, um, who has been – Brett Tomko, you see, you
0: want to talk about Brett Tomko right? <laughs> <laughs> Hell of a
3: pitcher.
0: <laughs> um, At least yeah,
3: he's a red, happy. not
0: as a giant. <laughs> Yeah, some that, of your yeah, favorite... yeah the jazz the jazz can keep with the Tomco they got now uh, no.
3: <laughs> <laughs> who have been some of your favorite trainers that have come through there, and then who are some guys that uh you may have not liked so much
0: <laughs> favorite trainer probably would be Dr. Tom Pritchard, uh no offense to Al snow, but Dr. Tom goes back to the old Smoky mountain wrestling days uh with the heavenly bodies, and uh Doc and I have been very close o- over the years uh and uh, we've we've been known to tell each other like it is, you know. If he's got something to say, he'll say it to me. If I ever had something to say, I'd say it to him. And I've uh, got a lot of respect for Doctor Tom. And, and in my opinion, that is the best thing that Florida wrestling's got going for, for it right now is having Tomco. Uh, Tomco. <laughs> I'm tired of talking about Tomco. Doctor Tom. Co. Dr. Tom <laughs> too many Toms and Tomcos floating around here. Uh, Doctor Tom uh, in Florida is is the best thing they got going. Steve Kern's a quality guy down there as well. And uh, of course, they're going to have, have Timmy Baltimore to the to the broadcast team. I don't know who the broadcast team is down there right now, but I guess Timmy Baltimore will probably uh, be the anchor of it. And um, uh it seemed like that was a multiple part question. Have I answered all of it? Or, oh, who I didn't like? let oh, see. Let's well, see. I liked the Dr. Tom, uh, Al Snow, and I've been very close since he's been here. Loved Al Snow. Uh uh, Greg Ganya when he was down here. I loved Greg. He was a great guy. Um people that I didn't like. Huh. you Trainers are staying huh Well me and me and Heyman uh Heyman wasn't really a trainer. Heyman was uh Heyman, uh I don't know what he did. Um let's put it this way. Very little Hayman hey, <laughs> hey, Heyman and I just probably didn't see eye to eye on a whole lot of things. Uh, I think we more or less tolerated each other, to be he honest with you. He, right every he, year. he claimed that he was uh, a, a Kenny Bowling fan, but uh, I don't know. The uh, I don't think I was his cup of tea, and he probably wasn't mine. And uh, he's off doing other things right now. And it's Like I've told everybody there that ever came through that didn't like me, well, it don't matter because once, once you leave, I'll still be here. So And for 11 <laughs> years, that's pretty much been the case. So it doesn't matter whether they like me or not, you know. I'll be here when you're gone. <laughs> so,
3: what, were your thoughts, what were your thoughts? What were A lot of people uh, used to think
0: I only. A lot, of, a lot of people used to think I only had this job because of Jim Cornette. Well, what they got to remember, I was here three years before Jimmy got here, and I've been here just about three years since he left. So, I don't think Jimmy's got a whole lot to do with my longevity in OBW. What
3: were some of your thoughts on uh, how Greg Ganya was handled and treated in uh, his stint in World Wrestling Entertainment?
0: I really don't know a whole lot about the inner workings. Uh, my opinion is that Greg Ganya was probably too nice a guy to be a trainer. Uh, Greg didn't want to see any bad in anybody. He didn't want to see anything negative. He is just uh, – now, he would tell you like it is from time to time. Uh, you could get him riled up, and, 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 and or if you really just weren't putting out the effort, he'd get on you. But, but Greg was almost just too nice a guy uh, to be a, a, a trainer. Al Snow? Uh, he he can be nice, but he can also cut you to threads, too, if he realizes you're jacking around. Uh, Dr. Tom, very much the same way. Nicest guy in the world, but start jacking around and wasting his time, and he'll certainly let you know about it. And, of course, our, our resident genius here, the hustler Rip Rogers, I mean, in, in my opinion, and I've, I've talked about it with many people, uh, he's a bit unorthodox in his approach and his style, but uh, there's not really a better trainer anywhere than, than Rip Rogers. If you want to learn how to be a professional wrestler, uh, Rip Rogers is the guy that can teach you how to get there, and he can he can teach anybody. Um, I, I, I talk about it like baseball. Some some wrestlers are so good at what they do they don't understand why they're good at it, and they don't understand how it works. <clears throat> Pete Rose was a great a great great player, but only considered average as a manager. Uh, there have been other great players your Hank Aarons, your Johnny Benches, people like that, that that have never managed. And why? Well, they just, you know, they, they, they knew how to motivate themselves. They just don't know how to motivate others. And uh, Rip Rogers has, has been good, really, with everyone he's ever gotten his hands on. I mean, if you really have a desire to learn pro wrestling, Rip will get it out of you. And if you don't, he'll filter that out, too, and he will not let you waste his time. He doesn't care if you got two thousand dollars in your pocket to join his class. If you're going to be a waste of time and a disruption, and you're not serious about it, he'll send you on your way, and you can shove your two grand up your anal orifice.
2: Well, there you go. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm speechless.
0: I guess you can I'm, say anal orifice uh, on this radio station here, can't you? Yes, sir. All right, just check. <laughs> I, I I I'm at a loss.
2: Alex, you're going to have to cover me. <laughs> Jeez.
0: Yeah, we got 13 so, uh, minutes to fill here. What, what you got on your mind?
3: So is, is, it, is it pretty much – how much involvement did Rip have with the developmental talent? Because someone of that uh, – honestly, because I've listened to a couple of Rip interviews that he's done, and then it's, he seems like the type of guy that they wouldn't really allow to be around the developmental
0: guys. I don't know exactly a whole lot of what happened there. I, I do know that there was a little bit of bad blood between uh, Rip and the uh, WWE. Exactly what it stemmed from, I, I we we have we have had our way of doing business here and doing things, and you gotta you gotta remember we're real old school here, and uh, WWE is not. And uh, our way of doing business and our way of thinking and our philosophy, and I say our because I think that me and Rip Rogers and Jimmy Cornett and Danny Davis, <clears throat> we've been the anchors of OVW for a long time. And, and we have our way of doing business and WWE has their ways. And I think Rip Rogers and Jimmy Cornett both had a very difficult time being told how to do what they knew that they were successful at. But Jimmy Cornett was very good at what he does. There is not a better Booker uh, of wrestling talent Than Jimmy Cornett. Uh Jimmy knows how to book a television show <clears throat> There's not a better trainer Than Rip Rogers So who is it that's going to come and tell them How to do their jobs Well neither one of them cared too much for it So I think in my own personal opinion That had a lot to do with the bad blood Between WWE Because WWE don't like to um, You know they, they, <laughs> they don't like to be told no And uh, you know it's uh if you're used to saying no, you're probably not going to get along with the w w e too long once again, my own personal opinion
2: so um once,
0: that water as lightly as i can
2: good answer good answer so uh the the current crop of the the young lions of uh derby city and o v w um mm-hmm. who do you see as as a breakout star um
0: in in Derby I, city I, and derby city who i think's got a tremendous potential uh, based upon his look and his attitude and his intensity i would tell you to look out for the big cat uh four months ago i don't know if i'd have told you that but he has really come a long way in the last four months um we have a young uh, wrestler named sergio who's got a good look he's not the tallest guy in the world but he's got a good look and. Has, he's fallen in love with the Sunset Flip for some reason. I'm not sure what that's about, but <laughs> I, I guess we all got to have a finishing and move, and, and his right now is the Sunset Flip. Uh, on OVW, I would say look out for um, – oh, Lord, let me get some names in, in my head here. Um,
2: Jamin Oliveras.
0: <laughs> uh, Jamin does one hell of a there. job. He's got one thing going against him. That's his size when it comes to um, intensity. And having a love and a passion for the wrestling business, you're not going to find anybody that loves it any more than Jamin. He is is stuck with it. And you can
2: tell with his work, he has that fire.
0: You you can tell
2: he he loves what he's doing.
0: My personal opinion, Jamin Olivenci ought to have a contract, and he should have had one at least six months ago, maybe even longer than that. Let's see where that... Let's see where that plays out. No, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he, but neither is Rey Mysterio. And who's more popular on WWE than Rey Mysterio? And I think Jamin has the ability to win fans over anywhere he goes. And uh, hopefully, you know, somebody will wake up one day and, and see that he needs to be a part of that roster. Uh, he's He's been here for the better part of, uh, I guess, about three years now. And uh, he never misses a never misses a show, never misses a training. Uh, I think his home is up near Niagara Falls. Uh, he does not get a whole lot of home time. He's uh, he does one hell of a job. I'm, I appreciate you guys noticing that out of him. Uh, bravado oh, certainly has the size and the intensity. Uh, might wish he were a little taller. Well, hell, not everybody's six foot six. Not everybody's seven feet tall, and and uh, not everybody uh, you know looks uh, exactly alike. But uh, he's. He's got the tools, let's say that. He's got the tools, and I think if he continues in the direction he's going in, he's another one that I think's got next one shot at getting a contract. Him and Jamin are two entirely different products, but I think both would be good additions. I don't think Bravado's there yet, but but he can get there. Jamin, in my opinion, ought to already have a contract with somebody.
2: Yes, I completely agree. Um, yeah, he he's just really fun to watch. and. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can tell he's out there, he's given hundred and ten. You know, the the fans just love him to death and, and honestly, I don't know why he's not signed.
3: You know
0: I mean, what? Geez. I said I I gotta correct myself. I said thirty six men had <clears throat> had advanced from bowling services under the WWE. Why well, lie? Uh, Justin Oxla Roche just made his appearance on W, uh, w That's on W right. on ECW the other day, so that makes it thirty seven.
3: 37 uh, it another
0: Boland Services member who has has marched on and made his way to the WWE, and now he needs to make a million dollars and ship some back home to Papa. That's what <laughs> he needs to do.
3: Well, on
2: on that note, Mister Bowlin, it was definitely our pleasure to have you on
0: again. Well, of course it was. Of course it was. <laughs> even though I was two, even, even though I was two minutes late.
2: Well, that's all right. That's okay.
0: It, Anything it else I can do to, for you, fellas?
2: I think that should that should do it. What we're going to do is we're going to wrap up our show. Um, any last plugs that you'd like to get in there?
0: Well, uh, uh, certainly for any of the listeners out there that have an interest uh, in OVW or if you like any of the old shows that, that I've been a part of since uh, – 1999 through 2000 and uh, early 2008, you can get those at KennyBolin.com Once again, that's KennyBolin B-O-L-I-N.com uh, You can find me on MySpace at backslash KennyBolin and uh, I also have a new DVD out called Memphis Classic Wrestling. It's a three DVD set with all the greats from 74 to 80 featuring the fabulous Jackie Fargo, Jerry the King Lawler, Bill Dundee, um uh, uh, all of the greats uh, that are on there from that era, and uh, it's a three desk set that I sell for twenty nine ninety five at 95 dot com. Awesome, awesome.
2: Go Wrestling dot com.
0: Oh, and Buy the o- and the and the OVW DVDs I've been on; those are nineteen ninety five. Right,
2: and those are for there's two. Oh, okay, for so it's four shows.
0: Mm-hmm. Four to five, depending on the month. Right.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, King, for coming on. It was our pleasure.
0: Well, we'll do it again sometime. On, uh, do it again sometime when I'm not cool. so sick.
2: <laughs> there you go. All right. Now you uh, you get off the phone and go drink some tea, brother. And you take. It Sounds easy. like
0: a good idea. I appreciate the the medical advice, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon.
2: All right, brother. Thanks for coming on. Have a good on one,
0: fellas. All right. Bye bye. All right.
2: Okay, Alexander. Now, that was the 50th show, brother. (laughs) That was fun.
3: Yeah, it was fun. It was a good show.
2: Very, very good. Um, I would like to thank our guests, uh, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce and King Kenny Bolan, for coming on the 50th show. Um, It was was fun stuff. Alex, um, we have about two minutes to go, so I'm going to give you the office to get in your plugs
3: com backslash CM Saint. You can find out what's going on with me. Uh, not much, but uh, you can find out. You can, whatever. And then um, com. we got a big show coming May 3rd. Uh, if you're in the San Diego area, if you live in California, just come out to the show. And I think you might have a good time. It might be kind of fun. And that's about it for me. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome.
2: Well, uh, we have under a minute to go, so I'm going to cut you off and I'll I'll run off the rest of the plugs. I will uh, talk to you on Tuesday. Uh, then, bye-bye. All right, gonna... Okay, listeners of Rubber Guard Radio, we survived our 50th episode. Unbelievable. Two great interviews with two great men. Uh, well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, you can get us on MySpace, uh, MySpace.com/backslash/RubberGuardRadio. Um, if you're a fan, in the you know, if you're a worker, referee, promoter, you know, if you want to come on the show, uh, hit us with a message and we'll gladly get you on. Um, you can also check out our website, RubberGuardRadio.com, where we have uh, columnists that you know write columns and, and whatnot. We also archive all of our shows. And uh, don't forget our sponsors, WrestleWarehouse.com, for all your wrestling DVD needs, and FogCityWrestling.com, which has a show in two days, April 12th, this Saturday night. Uh, There's only a few tickets remaining, so uh, doors open at 6, bell time's at 7. I suggest you get there at 5. Come by, say hi to KZ. Uh, I'll be the idiot running around with the Rubber Guard Radio press pass and Rubber Guard Radio T-shirt, so... Come on out, uh, check out some quality wrestling. Uh, The main event is Mr. Prime Time against the Black Pearl, um, which in a no-DQ match, which should be insane. Uh, They're going to be all over the place. Uh, Well, uh, we have a couple seconds left. Uh, Big ups, congratulations tonight there, uh, David Fuller. I heard you guys uh, kick some ass at your IHW banquet. And also, ACW Mark, that first segment was for you, brother.